Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Back goes Hurts. Here comes the rush. He lets it go. He completes it. And in for the touchdown goes Dallas Goddard. Well, that's what you asked for, Mr. Reese. Yep. He stood tall in the pocket. And Dallas Goddard runs a nice route, and he finds him down the field. And he gets banged, but Dallas Goddard is so good at running through contact, and he gets himself into the end zone. Dominguez kicks. Here's the pitch. Swing and a ball line towards left field. Beerling coming on. He'll make the catch. Marte tags. He's coming home to throw. The tag. He's out. Matt Beerling has thrown out Starling Marte for the final out here in the bottom of the ninth inning. And we're going extras as this game is tied 1-1. Oh, what a night it was. Two big sporting events last night, both against New York teams. One in South Philly where the Eagles uh, start their preseason. The other one up in Queens, New York, where the Phillies, in the heat of a pennant race, managed to win against Max Scherzer and the Mets. Incredible baseball game. We're going to talk about the Eagles first, in part because uh, Mike Sielski. I'm Glenn Mackinac with Mike Sielski, and we were both uh, at the Eagles game last night. But we will not ignore those fighting fills. So, Eagles preseason, as we said, opens last night. Game notable for uh, plays involving both quarterbacks. Let's uh, we'll start with Jalen Hurts uh, and his performance, and one play in particular. Mike, I know you focused on. Uh, He is the one player that everybody is focused on right now. Uh, He's received mixed reviews through training camp. All right, so he's in for one drive, six for six, 22-yard pass to Dallas Goddard, where Hurts really nicely uh, placed the pass so that Goddard had a chance to make the catch. Uh, 28-yard throw to Quez Watkins that Hurts uh, released as he was kind of running to his right. Scrambling touchdown that got called back. I want to start with this. I I know what... I know what's top of mind for you, but what did you think overall? Overall, how do you rank Hurts' performance? Mike Sielski. Uh, first things first, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> um, how do I rank Hurts' We got it late. I just want to get ready. No, yeah. let's, let's, let's do it. Um, overall, very good. Uh, you, you can't argue with six for six for 80 yards and a touchdown. Uh, although, having said that, I think those of us who have followed the Eagles for a long time do remember a quarterback named Sam Bradford. Oh, come on now. Going 10 come for 10. Come on. You're going there already? I just Five minutes after 10, you throw the wet blanket. I I just want to maintain a measure of perspective is all I'm saying. Uh, okay. Um, but no, overall, Jalen looked very good. Uh, and of course, we have the one play where he takes uh, the late hit out of bounds. All right. All right. Um, Let's which get there. I read your column the big this morning. I... I Spit my coffee out, two paragraphs in. 
Well written, though. I'll give you that. Thanks. Um, yes, this is the other play. This is the play that uh, certainly deserves some discussion. It was on that one drive, and Hertz goes back looking for a receiver, um, breaks the pocket. Here's what happens. Down and five. The ball on the New York 35-yard line. Again, the shotgun. Hertz with Miles Sanders to his right. Takes his drop. He's looking. He's flushed out of the pocket. He's rolling. He is still rolling. And he runs out of bounds and takes a late hit as he crosses the 35-yard line. This is the thing you worry about, but it's going to cost the Jets 15 yards. Okay. Tell me what you saw, Mike Silski. Well, it goes without saying, we all saw a really dirty hit mm-hmm. um, by Quincy Williams. Quincy Williams, excuse yeah. me, Jets linebacker. Yep. Uh, that goes without saying. It, is, it was absolutely a bad play. Robert Sala, the Jets coach, was upset at Williams after the game in the mo- heat of the moment. Nick Sirianni it is was, screaming it, it great. across the field, <laughs> uh, reacting like every Eagles fan did, I'm sure. Well, that's did you see, um, I think Barstool put it out, that great, they, they put the picture last year of the woman from Havertown, yes. God bless her, I forget her name, I, she lives kind of near me, um, who is screaming at the ref, and then they put they superimposed Nick underneath it. It was quite it's similar. Same, Nick's one of us. <laughs> Which is, and totally understandable, yeah, totally read lips get it. there? Yeah, exactly. The thing that I don't know. Bothered might be a little too strong a word, but what I would have liked to have seen from Hertz on that play, both Sirianni and in his call, Merrill Reese described Hertz as being flushed out of the pocket. Go back and watch that play. He's not flushed out of the pocket. He has a lane to throw the ball. He's not under any pressure, and he takes off and runs. Now, this is a preseason game. This is a young quarterback. I get that. Personally, I would have preferred, and I think the Eagles, if you, you know, held their feet to the fire and shot them up with sodium pentothal, would tell you they would have preferred that Hurts hang in there and try to find a receiver downfield a little bit longer. That's the big question about him. Mm. And the fact that he took off and ran as quickly as he did, that's, it just, it, it kind of reinforces, I think, the little bit of a worry you have about. All right, well, your point of view did get some support in your column from one A.J. Brown, Mm -hmm. who told you what? Well, he said after the game that he wanted to see, and he told Hertz after the play when they were on the sideline, that he wanted to see him slide. You know, get rid of the ball or get down, uh, especially during a preseason game, Mm -hmm. right? Like, everybody knows that Jalen Hurts' mobility is probably his greatest strength as a quarterback. And so, don't do the thing you can already do. Push yourself, test yourself. That's part of the reason that the season is so intriguing. Is the Eagles need Jalen Hurts to push himself to see what kind of quarterback he can be? Okay, so he gets up, and to his credit, well, first of all, he's not hurt, which right. is great, and second of all, he just shakes it off, goes back, and and doesn't get rattled by it, which to me was a very good sign. Yes, I liked the way the Eagles' offensive line, as my lotta, rushed over there and. Didn't get himself thrown out, but let it be known. Mm-hmm. This is BS. Uh, so I like the way the Eagles team reacted. And then, of course, they drive for the touchdown, which was great. Yes. Okay. Totally great. I and mean, the, the first-team offense was humming. Um, yeah, that's what you want to see from a first-team offense in a first preseason game. Okay. The cautionary tale to all this that occurred last night is the Jets quarterback, Zach um, Wilson. Thank you. Zach Wilson. I almost said Zach Brown. Zach, <laughs> Zach Wilson. 
decides to take off on one play, and he ends up, and it, it appeared to me, non-contact, right? It happened before. Nobody touched him. Right. His knee buckles, and it, it appears, they're going to find out today, that he may have torn his ACL. In the first preseason game of the year, he could be out for the entire year. What are you doing running the ball? Which is kind of, you know, where you're going. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I'm I'm not somebody who believes that just because a quarterback is mobile and runs the ball that he's necessarily at greater risk of injury. You could run. No, to, I agree. You know, you could run to avoid injury yeah, yeah. to avoid well, a big hit. Well, yeah. Um, just in this situation, everybody wants to see Hurts stay in the pocket and deliver the ball. Okay. You're out of your mind. Okay. Um, because not the, not the first time I've been told that. What you say is in not incorrect, but that it overshadows. At least this is the way I'm, I infer it. It overshadows a really good performance. Um, yeah, it's the Jets, and yeah, it's the first preseason, and yeah, I'm not going to put him in the Pro Bowl, let alone the Super Bowl, anything else. But the big narrative of the entire uh, training camp has been. Boy, his hurts up to it. I don't know. It didn't look very good. He was 10 for 21 with, you know, whatever stats, and he looks pretty shaky. He was pretty close to perfect last night. Again, long road to go, but I could not have scripted a better first game for Jalen Hurts in terms of what I saw in that field. As my wife will tell you, Glenn, I'm the guy who looks at the perfect Christmas tree and stares at it, steps back away from it, and says, you know what? The star on top is a little crooked. Okay. Well, that's what you're doing. <laughs> All right. That's what you're doing. 215-592-9494. Okay. A couple other things off the game. We didn't – first team kind of played uh, one drive on each. Looked Both looked good. Defense, I think, gave up 11 yards on its drive, got off the field. Second unit comes on and is looking pretty good. Um, and I wanted to talk to you in particular about a couple of guys on the second unit of the defense. And I want to play one – play this is uh this is uh two two rookies mm-hmm. looking good on one play that's Brees hall and dean gets into the backfield to make that tackle for no game that was on cue right there no oh, that was a little quicker than i thought that's okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. if you watch the game i think everybody knows the play you're talking about where yeah our friend ross tucker um giving you that very quick analysis along with Scott Graham, which is Jordan Davis and N'Kobe Dean. Mm-hmm. Uh, Davis collapses the offensive line. N'Kobe Dean makes the tackle. Mike Sealski, this is the future of the Eagles. I think there's a decent chance it is, actually. I mean, you watched Jordan Davis in that game last night. It did not take long for the Jets to start double-teaming him at the point of attack because they had to double-team him at the point of attack. Um he is. He has the chance to be a really, really forceful player for them along the defensive line, and that's. There's a trickle down effect to that, right? Like all of a sudden, if you look at their tape from last year, you see um, uh, Josh Sweat, you know, playing inside. Right. You don't have to play him inside anymore. You can right. just send him after the quarterback because mm-hmm. you've got Jordan Davis out there collapsing the pocket, and then of course Nicobe Dean behind him. It's nice to be able to see competent linebacking play from the Eagles. Yeah, and he wasn't the only one, too. And he wasn't the only one. Because your White looked really good when he was in there. Yeah, so 
encouraging signs yeah. all around. I yeah, I, was, I, I really, again, it's the preseason. And, yeah. uh, you know, we've seen teams go 4-0 in the preseason and then stink. But I was looking for some specific things. There are others that we'll talk about. Young rookie offensive linemen, I thought, look good. We'll get into some of those things. Um, I do want to uh, – you know what? Let me take one call on the Eagles, and then I want to work the Phillies in sure. the first segment. It is – the Phillies, what they are doing right now, needs to really be trumpeted and applauded. So let me just get Robert, because uh, he's got a thing about the Hertz play. What do you think, Robert? Hey, well, I think I was the first one to comment on Mike's article today, and I totally disagree with Mike, simply because you play like you practice like you play, and that play, he's out of bounds by two yards. Every quarterback in the NFL makes that play. He runs out of bounds before the hit. He's, he's trying to score, get the crowd into it. And that was a late hit. The guy should have been ejected from the game. Maybe that would maybe deter that. But to say that it was Hertz's fault, which is kind of what the article did say, Mike, it's wrong. It's not Hertz's fault. He has learned. He hasn't learned. Sure he has. He ran out of bounds. He didn't try to stretch it into more than it was. So I would totally disagree with you on that one. I'm not suggesting, Robert, and thanks for the call, that it was Hertz's fault that he got hit. What I'm suggesting is that Jalen Hurts tends to leave the pocket before he has to. And even if he had not been hit late on that play, it still would have been, to me, a little bit discouraging to see him leave the pocket as quickly as he did. Because the whole the whole idea of him developing as a quarterback is based around the idea that he needs to be able to stand in there a little bit longer, a little more frequently, to get the ball downfield, to get the ball into the middle of the field. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's get the Phillies in here. I, I I don't want to wait too long. I really want to applaud him. You and I were both at the Eagles game, so we didn't get to watch that exciting Phillies game. I'm kind of following it on my computer as the game's going on. I'm looking at plays on Twitter and so on. But we didn't. You and I were not able to watch what happened. Um, but let's put in perspective what's going on with this team. You go first. Well, look, they are 14 games over 500. They just went into the home of the best team, second best team in the National League, the Mets, and beat arguably the best starting pitcher in mm-hmm. baseball in Max Scherzer and did it on a night where their number three starter, Ranger Suarez, and we can talk about him a little bit more in a minute, uh, is going against Scherzer. Uh, and particularly what stands out, I think, and, and what people are excited about is not just that they're winning. It's the way they're winning. Yep. They're playing sharp, tight, Yep. Baseball. Everything Keith Hernandez doesn't believe they can do. Yeah, they exactly. Really it's so funny you said that because they really are playing that way now. The defense last night, I saw the bone play was terrific. The mm-hmm. veerling throw that we played at the top, wow, I didn't know he could make that throw. Yeah, and I think what gets people around here excited about that in particular is that that was a hallmark of those Phillies teams from 07 to 2011, that they were so sharp and so good defensively, whether you're talking about Rollins at shortstop, Utley at second base, Shane Victorino in center field, Carlos Ruiz behind the plate. They knew how to play the game yeah, in, addition sure to, in addition to being able to hit the ball out of the park in virtually any spot of their line. The other thing this team is doing, that, that that team, and again, it's an I know it's an unfair comparison to compare this team to a team that won a World Series, went to two, won five divisions, but the other thing that they are doing is they are winning tight games late. The comeback against the Marlins... Alcantara earlier in the week was great. Mm-hmm. They beat Scherzer last night because, as you said, Ranger Suarez, and then the bullpen is able to shut down the Mets' offense. Um, 
Stott, Bryson Stott of all people is, you know. We, we've been taking calls about leadoff hitters for the last three weeks. <laughs> Maybe uh, they can finally move yeah, Kyle well, Schwarber out of that spot. We'll, we'll see, but he certainly did it last night. He's, But he's, he's really coming around in terms of – you know he's not. You you believe he's not a 180 hitter. I don't. Right. I don't think he's going to be a 300 hitter. But he's going to be a good defensive player who can who can handle himself at the plate. Um, they're fun. They're exciting. It's really great. No, they're not going to win the World Series, but they're going to make the playoffs. And you know steps. If you remember that team 07 11 team, they made the playoffs in 06. Yeah, they, they got bounced. They made the, well, they made no, the playoffs 07. in 07. Excuse me. They got bounced early, mm-hmm. quickly. But it was a stepping stone. I believe that you make the playoffs and then you try to go one round further every year. This rule does not apply to the Sixers, but it's a general rule I like to believe in. You put your finger on the thing that I I think, as much as anything, is the reason for why they're winning games in the way that they are. The improvement to the bullpen. That was such a weak spot for them over the last few years. And there is something to be said, I think, for a team thinking that even if we're down... We know the bullpen is going to keep it close and keep us in the game and give us a shot to rally. Yep. All right. That's what we're talking about today. Pretty simple stuff. Let's get Christopher out in California. Christopher, it's uh, 718 in California. Not too early. What's hey, going what's on? what's going on? Good morning. Hey. Hey. Uh, so I haven't been really this exciting uh, for the Eagles. I Jalen Hurts looks really, really good. Uh, I know he can clean up a couple of things. Um, but – the defense looks exciting to see as well. Um, th- honestly, this football season looks really, really promising. Mm-hmm. Um, on, not just that, um, I just would like to say something and kind of advocate for Gardner Minshew, though. That, d- that dude needs a, uh, he needs a shot somewhere uh, as a starter in the NFL. Uh, he, that's just wasted talent behind uh, you know, Jalen Hurts being well, a backup quarterback. I'm not worried about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to have a veteran like that as a backup if I have a team that I think is going to go somewhere. Absolutely. I mean, he, look, he has been a relatively successful quarterback in the league. He played very well in the one game he got to start last against, year against, against the Jets, against too. The Jets. Right. Um, but you, you have him on a, on a really manageable contract as about as good a backup as you're going to find in the NFL. Um, but Hurts is the starter of this team. Yeah. Yeah. So they're really high on the kid um, Stinnett that they got from, uh, or Sinet that they got yeah. from Miami, uh, San Diego State. I think he played San Diego. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and I, I guess he's having a really good camp, and they're liking him a lot. But you can't. There's been an argument that if he looks really good, you trade Minshew, get a second or third rounder, and you go with him. But again, if you have hopes to go far this year, and this team really can go far. You do want that veteran presence oh, as a backup. Look, the Eagle. The re- reason the Eagles won a Super Bowl in 2017-2018 was because of the backup quarterback they had. And again, Minshew was on a very manageable contract. The fact that he and Hurts cost so little against the cap is what allowed the Eagles to go ahead and make all these improvements in the offseason. If I'm the Eagles, I'm not trading Gardner Minshew. I agree. It is a beautiful morning in Philadelphia. Well, both the weather, which is actually really nice right now. We're not we're out of that 98 degrees. Thank and God. in terms of the sports outlook, uh, both teams that are playing right now uh, really looked good last night. Very exciting, and we want to talk to you about that. 215-592-9494. He's Mike Sielski. I'm Glenn Mack. Now, by the way, special guest coming up. Special to me, anyway. 
94 WIP, a, uh, a guy who's been a character on our show before who I think our listeners like and just had a birthday. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now Saturday morning on 94 WIP. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow, 94, WIP, Saturday morning. You got big plans for the weekend now that the uh, I do. game is over? What do I, you- I do, actually. I'm... Uh... Driving home to Bucks County, loading the wife and kids and a friend of ours into the car and heading up to the Poconos for the weekend. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Nice. So it'll, right. be, it'll be fun. All right. Let's get uh, Kevin and Alney here. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Hey, Kevin. Hey, good morning, Glenn. How are you? All man? right. Uh, man, I sure miss your old partner, man. Well, you can't Ray say that when Mike's people. sitting here. I'm for sitting God right sake. here, yeah. Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he ducked on my guy. Oh, <laughs> this is personal. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm kind of upset with Mike Silsky right uh, now. I'm sorry, you know Kevin. I mean? Hey, Mike, you do know that some some plays in the NFL are on schedule, right? You do know that. Like, maybe they're one route routes and every other route is dead. You know what I mean? Like, quick slants and stuff like that, quick hitters. And if they're not there, the quarterback has to duck out. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was – the guy was three yards out of bounds, and the dude came and hit him. Yeah, I, I, back up, I, I'm with you, Kevin. And handles his business, man. Come yeah, on, man. Look, look. 
I, I'm with you on the hit. I get it. I'm just telling you, watching the play, that, and given the questions we have about Jalen heading into this season, I think, and I think the Eagles think, it would be better if he tried to throw the ball downfield in that situation. He was not under duress. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Uh, my next guest is uh, somebody very close to me. It's my dad. Uh-huh. Um, my dad uh, had his, I hope he doesn't get mad I said this, 92nd birthday yesterday. And my, I was thinking about it. My dad has, has, was born in the Depression and lived through World War II and saw a man go to the moon and got through the pandemic and he is still going strong. And my dad, Marv Macnow, is a man of, of humor and integrity and love for his family and his Buffalo Bills. And uh, Dad, I wanted to have you on this morning just to tell you that you're still my hero and that uh, happy birthday to you. Okay, Sonny. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, how'd you, how'd you like your birthday? We went out to uh, Sopranos Deli in Broomall Thursday night. You had the eggplant parm sandwich. Yeah, and uh, it was a very generous serving, and I had a little <laughs> bit of it yesterday as well. That's right. Yeah, you kept it. <laughs> um, the one thing that people ask me, and the one thing I will ask you is, what is the trick to aging so gracefully and to your longevity? Genes, uh, I guess. My your your grandma, my mom lived to ninety five, and she was pretty sharp. Yeah. Uh, I I guess it's in the genes, and then hopefully you've inherited those genes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, hopefully. But you're the the one thing about you is you've more than myself. You've always been able to keep your cool and and put things in stride, and I admire that. Well, I. Thank you. I, I didn't know I had that characteristic, but I'll uh, I'll take that as a compliment. Mr. Macnow, I'd like to think that part of the reason for your longevity and, and the way you're kind of uh, wringing every drop out of life is that you're, uh, you know, your son doesn't stress you out or, you know, <laughs> cause you any, uh, any problems. Does that have anything to do with it? Uh, I, I think I've been pretty lucky with my kids and... Uh, yeah, I I don't have a great deal of stress in my life. He's got two uh, kids. He's got four grandkids. He's got five great grandkids. Got to spend time with the California great grandkids last week. That was wonderful. Yeah. I tell you, I just just great. He's got a yeah, great those, grandson. I'm sorry, Dad. Go ahead. No, I I, it, I just don't get that much of an opportunity to see them. Yeah. So everybody coming in that way was wonderful. Mr. Macnow, I know. You know, we're talking here about Glenn and stress. I know you're a big Buffalo Bills fan. Oh man, how is yeah. it that you've you've you know lived as long and as as wonderfully as you have and rooted for that team your entire life? Yes, yes. Well, I mean, doesn't that doesn't that <laughs> cause you agita at some as point? In the, as in the last time we watched them in the playoffs against Kansas City, we were all having heart attacks. Uh, yes, that uh, that last minute. Uh, that was heartbreaking, but uh, you know, I it, it, I take it in my stride. I, I uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan, but uh, uh, I I think I have it all in perspective. He doesn't lose sleep. All right, the, the, the just one or two more things. And you and I were talking about this recently. Most often, it's the dads who make their sons into fans. Right. I made you into a football fan. You remember the first game we went to? I I do, and 
it did come from the bottom up instead of from the top down. I was I was not a big sports fan at all. I mean, I I followed the Yankees. You know, growing up in the New York area, I was a Yankee fan for many years. Uh, I, uh, I I was a smart kid. I, I instead of uh, becoming a Dodger fan, uh, growing up in Brooklyn, <laughs> I was right. I was persuaded by by my uncle to become a Yankee fan when I was little because he said I'd have less aggravation. <laughs> he was right. Uh, so that's that's kind of a basic principle of mine, you know, not to have too much aggravation. But you weren't and, a football fan until we went to that game on that bus that time. That's right. I was not a football fan. I didn't follow it. Although, you know, I, I used to have lunch with a bunch of guys who were big Bills fans and season ticket holders, and that, that uh, played into it as well. Yeah. Well, Dad, I just want to say um, uh, happy birthday again, and I yeah. love you, and... Uh, Mr. Magnow, it's a pleasure to speak with you. I hope you call in every week. <laughs> well, thank you. And nice, nice to meet you for the first time. And um, I'll turn the show back on and uh, listen to the rest of it today. All right. I'll see, you for, I'll see you for lunch this coming week. Okay, Sonny. All right. Love you. Love you. All right. Bye-bye, Dad. Um, that's my dad. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was so, great. That was so, really great. So my dad, as I said, he just turned 92. And as you can tell, wow. he's sharp. He does not right? sound like he's no. 92. He's really sharp. And so we meet for lunch uh, one day a week, and I'm downloading his brain on family history and his life and his parents' life and his grandfather. His great, he, he, my dad, grew up. And I'll move back to the show in a second. I'm so, I appreciate okay. the indulgence from everybody. So my dad grew up, as he said, in Brooklyn during the Depression and lived in a two-bedroom apartment with... His mother, his grandparents, his three uncles, his great grandfather. It's like, you know. It sounds like a Neil Simon play. It, it, well, his life is a Neil Simon play. I mean, it really is. And he slept in bed with his great grandfather. He shared a bed. Wow. Until his great grandfather passed away. My dad was like 10 or whatever. But they, you know, there was like four to a room, and that's how we grew up. And so. We meet once a week, and I say, Dad, you know, tell me about, you know, when you went to school. Tell me about how you met my mom. Tell me, and all that stuff. And it's it's living history, and I'm, I'm writing it all down, mm-hmm. and I'm going to write it as a story just for my family, you know, my kids and my grandkids and all that. Yeah, we've been so. talking about perspective through the first half hour of the show, and you hear stories like that, and you understand where... Uh, our families came from, and it's. I think it's a. It's a good reminder of oh, yeah. what to get worked up about and oh, what yeah. not to. Oh, he's lived a great life. I love my dad. All right, let's get a little Phillies highlight in here. Can we moosh? And the pitch. Bohm swings, lifts it in the air. It's shadow in right field. Marte waiting, and the catch will be made. Stott's coming home. Here's the throw by Marte. It gets by, and Stott is safe as Nito missed the throw. And the Phillies take the lead. It's two to one. That ended up being the winning run. And geez, I don't know. How does Keith Hernandez feel about those fundamentals? <laughs> you know, it's interesting, I'm Glenn. Sorry. I could keep going with I, that. I was in the uh, the Lynx press box late last night filing my column that it's, you know, everybody is weighing in on. And uh, I'm friends with a number of the Jets beat writers because I covered the team for a little while when I was working up in New York. And some of them are Mets fans and followers. And one of them stood up and was kind of describing uh, that play in the press box yeah. to the other, you know, Jets beat writers. Like, and the catch, he just didn't catch the ball. All he had to do was catch the ball, and he didn't catch the ball. Um, there was a slight bit of, you know, schadenfreude on my yeah. part, I think. 
Um, Alec Bohm, right? Yeah. Great rookie year a couple of years ago. Not last year. First, whatever, 50 games this year. Still, uh, listen, his defense has been very good. I'm mm-hmm. still not going to nominate him for the gold glove, but no. it's been good. But his offense, for a guy who doesn't hit home runs, and I do want my fir- third baseman to yeah. hit home runs, he's making things happen offensively. He is, and I think he's a testament to the things that something that only so many athletes nowadays in sports get the chance to do, which is develop, right? Like we're we're batting around all these questions about Jalen Hurts, for instance, and part of the reason there's this sense of urgency around him is because of the nature of the NFL and contracts and, you know, how long is it going to be before the Eagles have to decide about paying him and all of that. And Boehm is in a different situation, you know, as you said, terrific rookie season, takes a step back last year. In his third year with more experience and being more mature, you see him taking steps forward again. And that's something that fewer and fewer young athletes, it seemed to me, at the professional level are allowed to do, which is to grow and get better over time. Yep, absolutely. Mike in Lafayette Hill, you're on with Mike Sealski and Glenn Mack now. Hey, guys. Uh, hey, forget about what that other caller said, Mike. Uh, you're all right, kid. Thank you, Mike. Uh, checks in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to uh, chime in on Cam Jurgens. I think he's uh, he's the real heir apparent uh, to Kelsey. I tell you, he really, he really looked good last night. They're very high on him. Uh, there's a reason they picked him, you know, as high as they did in the second round. There's a reason that Jason Kelsey reacted the way that he did when they picked him. If you remember, you know, they had Kelsey kind of commenting on camera about the picks, you know, draft night. Yeah, and he was he was yeah. very excited to get yeah, Cam Jurgens. Yeah, um, look, yeah, that, that's to me that is the thing that in recent years, going back ten years even longer, that is the thing that the Eagles do best. They find and they develop offensive linemen. And yeah, how come that? Why is that? Who's, um, that, who's that a testament to? I think it's a testament, uh, first and foremost, Jeff Stoutland, yep. who's probably the best offensive line coach in the NFL. Yep. And I think it's a testament to their, their scouting staff and the fact that they prioritize that position. Um, they place a huge amount of importance on the offensive line, and rightly so. Our whole offensive line looked really good, but um, yeah, I was really impressed by that Cam Jurgens. I tell you, I think he's uh, he's going to be really good. And then uh, them two uh, them two rookies are looking really good too. Yeah, uh, that one's a real beast, boy. He's huge. He is huge, and he's strong. And by the way, because we talked about Cam Jurgens, and now we're talking about Jordan. His response this week, every this week, a training camp uh, clip of him. Pushing back Jurgens, mm. right? Yep, went viral. Yes, and everybody saw it. And and he was asked. Jordan was asked about it this week. Yeah, yeah. Jordan Davis was. Jordan and, Davis. I'm sorry. Yeah, Jordan Davis. And his response was, "Hey, man, I I didn't like that because there are plenty of plays where he beat me. I'm not here to embarrass anybody. That's I'm a rookie. It's that's not right. Yeah. And it was Jordan Davis's response was perfect. Yeah, it was. Um. He he's going to be a fan favorite very very quickly if he's if he turns out to be as good as it seems everyone hopes he can be. Um, he's got a terrific personality. He was very engaging after the game last night. He had a, a huge gaggle of media members around him. You know, Glenn. What was one quick interesting side note? The locker room was open after the game last night to mm-hmm. the media. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting... It's been a number, while. Yeah, I mean, two years you're yeah. talking. And what's interesting is that um, some of us were, were talking about this. 
there are players on the Eagles who have never been in a situation where media members came into their locker room after a game to interview them because it didn't happen during the pandemic. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how some of the younger guys, I think, react to this and how they handle it. Hey, by the way, one other thing uh, that happened last night. During the Eagles game, they announced their Hall of Famers mm-hmm. for this year. One of them is going to be joining us. Oh, that's in terrific. About, in about 20 minutes. One of one of my absolute favorite guys, Hugh Douglas, is going to join us, and we're going to, we're going to talk about his brilliant career and being named to the uh, Eagles Hall of Fame, which is, which is just great. 215-592-9494 with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Macnow. Along with Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. As we said, Hugh Douglas is going to join us at the top of the hour. Hugh and Trent Cole were named to the Eagles Hall of Fame last night. Jeffrey Lurie making the announcement during the halftime. Uh, like them both. I mean, I, yeah, certainly both deserve it. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, both terrific pass rushers. You yeah. know, two of the best, you know, guys to get after the quarterback. And that's such that was such a big part of what Jim Johnson wanted to do Wanted to do defensively. Here. Yeah, and Hugh was a great leader on that team. Hugh was, was, you know, a guy who knew how to kind of keep the locker room loose and make people laugh and so on and and by the way was a great personality here on 94 WIP. Yeah, you know, always um fun to talk to in the locker room. I wasn't around the team as much back then. Uh not really for me until 2002 uh did I really start to spend a lot of time around the Eagles covering them. Uh but in those the, those few occasions that I did get to be around Hugh, it was always he kept things loose, let's put it that way, yeah. amongst his teammates and the, the media members. Did so many shows, did pregames with Hugh for a couple of years, and he was really good. One of the things I always admired about Hugh was sometimes you will get ex-athletes, and it's, it's football, I guess, more than anything, and they know the game from the position they played. Mm-hmm. Right, so if they're you know an offensive, if they're a guard, they can tell you about guard play and defensive tackle play because that's the part of the field they see. Hugh put some time into it, and Hugh knew other positions and who was playing well and wasn't, and was not afraid to let you know. No, and generally speaking, that's linemen in the NFL, offensive and defensive linemen. I've I've found, and I oh, think, always, yeah, you know, they're the smartest guys in the room. Yeah, um, they because they have to know, as you said, what is going on in the field around them everywhere else. Yep. I mean, my rule of thumb back when I used to go into locker rooms more than now is the offensive linemen were always the guys. Runyon. Runyon was great at that. Runyon was great. Kelsey's great at it now. Brandon Brooks was great at it when he was in the locker room. Go back to those teams that Hugh was on. Think of guys like Jermaine Mayberry. Um, You know, Trey Thomas could be good when he needed to. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's kind of a cardinal rule of covering. And by the way, if you look at the guys who moved into media and did it well, right? Barrett Brooks is in media locally mm-hmm. and does well. Runyon was in it before he went on to bigger and more important things. Uh, Trey Thomas yep. did a lot of it. Those guys are good at that. By the way, I, I'm, I'm going to get to Kevin in one second, who's an Eagles call. Mike and I missed the Phillies game last night because we were working the Eagles game. <laughs> we want to hear from people, what did we miss? Tell us about the Phillies. I, I'm really excited about that team and want to talk more about it. We need you to help us at 215-592-9494. But Kevin wants to talk about that Eagles first drive. What do you think, Kev? Yeah, um, Mike, you hit on a good point about when Hurts um, was uh, hit illegally. Here's the key thing. They drove the ball from the twenty. They had third and five at the 35. If that player, Williams, doesn't um, cause the penalty, now they have to try either a fourth and five or a 52-yard field goal. See, that's the kind of thing that we, 
little things, but they're huge. The penalty continues to drive. I wanted to see Hurts at least, and I believe, throw the ball down the field or mm-hmm. take the back. Yeah, you know, Kevin, that's that's all I'm saying. I'm not suggesting that it was Hertz's fault that he got hit late. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, you make a good point about the situation. I think Sirianni probably would have gone for it on fourth and five. He went for it on fourth down a couple of times last night because why wouldn't you? It's a preseason game. But I think your point is well taken. I want to see Jalen Hurts test himself. And testing himself necessarily means throwing the ball downfield in situations where he doesn't feel totally comfortable doing it. God, you guys really see the ward on the supermodel, don't you? <laughs> that's Come a mole, on, Glenn. Come that's on. a mole. Well, that, yeah, no, that's, that's the and, old Chrissy Brinkley line. Yeah. Glenn and Mike also. Yeah. With, um, Huntley. Huntley, yeah. he got a lot of touches. Yes. But he had two fourth and ones. The first one, he danced a little. Yes, he did. Okay. The second one, he danced again. Yes. That didn't make it. Yep. yep. I agree. And and here's the thing. And thanks, Kevin. I, I think last night was his real opportunity. It was a test for him to see if he can make the club. And, and they're, they're pretty good at running back. Uh, Sanders and Gainwell and Boston Scott is a really good start, right? I'm leaving somebody out. They just signed a guy. Yeah, they just signed the guy, yeah, number 47 or 49, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with him. But to me, this is kind of Hunley's opportunity to kind of do something, and I don't know that he did. Would like to see a little more Gainwell last night. Yeah, and, and I think what's interesting about that group is Hunley is the guy in practice who flashes his speed more than anybody. He's the fastest of the group. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if they need a guy, you know, a la Jordan Howard, a la LeGarrette Blunt, the Super Bowl year who just smashes the ball forward, you know, when it is fourth and one, there's no chance of any dancing. He's just going to hammer it in there and, you know, pound away to defense when you need him to do that. Obviously, as we talked about last week, that is not primarily what they want to do offensively. Mm -hmm. Anything, just uh, throwing it out there to you openly, anything else that struck you last night in that game? Uh God, you made it through the whole thing. I, I had to. I this bailed is... early. I know you're doing the post game interview with Hertz. What time did you get out of there? About twelve thirty. Oh, Mike, I was sitting, I was in bed sleeping at that time. Yeah, I, I believe me. I watched wish that I were. fourth quarter on TV. Got out of there. I wish I were. No um, traffic going home. Look for for all the the time we spent talking about Jalen Hurts in that one play. I do think that drive showed you a couple things that portend the way the season might go, which is to say, number one, he spread the ball around yep. a fair bit. Yep. That was a nice throw to Quez Watkins yeah, really move nice. for 28 yards. Mm-hmm. He hits Dallas Goddard for the touchdown. They have weapons if Hurts can get them the ball. And then the other thing is, it was all throws. The only run on that drive yeah. was Hurts escaping the pocket, you know, as we talked about. So, again, for all the discussion about, are they going to run the ball? They have a great offensive line. They want to throw it. Yeah, but part of that is because the head coach, they know they can run the ball. Sure. Right? Yeah. And you know you got that down, so you want to – there's no reason to do that. Let, let's get the kid some more. He's only going to be in there for one drive. Yeah. So, so max out. W- w- right. What's the purpose is of him handing off to Miles Sanders? Let's see what he can do. I'm, I'm – again, I don't want to be gushy. Um, and I, and I, it's not really because of last night. It's just because as I look at this team and look at what it has, it has an off an elite offensive line. Yes. You stay healthy. You're perhaps the best in the league. Mm-hmm. You, I think God, I know we say this every year, but this could be the Goddard breakout year. 
Remember how we waited all those years for Ertz to have the great season, and then he caught 115 passes? Go look at Goddard's numbers last season. It's pretty close Better to a break. Yeah, it's pretty close okay. to a breakout year. Uh, fine, great. I'm I'm going to give you Goddard 75 passes for 900 yards this year. Could very well be. Okay. Uh, you got yourself an elite receiver, which you haven't had in a while. You may have the best, and I had this argument yesterday with the guys on the pregame show. I said, you may have the best receiver on this team since T.O. They said, well, are you forgetting Deshaun Jackson? I think he, Deshaun was a, was an excellent player with one particular great skill. Different kind of receiver. Right. Could go long, could track a ball, had amazing speed. This is a guy who, again, is a volume receiver and I think and, and an explosive, big, tough guy. Yeah. He's okay. he's going to make Hertz better. The question is how much. Right. Because Hertz is going to be able to hit him on a five-yard slant, and Bra- A.J. Brown is going to be schluffing guys off him like he's, you know, Superman, you know, Pushing away mortal human beings. Right, which to me gives you the opportunity to, to have Smith be more of the role of Deshaun Jackson, your home run hitter. Yes. Okay. Um, by the way, we, we didn't talk about Zach Pascal, who made a couple nice plays last night. Nice to know he's done throwing up. And yeah. he's like, <laughs> he, for those who don't know, he had food poisoning. Was he in the hospital for like four days? Three or four days. It was apparently a quesadilla, from what I heard. Ooh, I don't know really where he ate it from. Ooh. That. Quesadilla is literally our my. I have two sons. That is their favorite food. Is that right? So I'm, out I'm, Limon, oh my yeah. atten- antennae are poised. Let me put it that way. <laughs> okay, I'm a fan of that too. Maybe not. Maybe back off the next week. Uh, yeah, but, but he he contributed, and Quez can play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have running backs who who are who are good. Miles Sanders isn't great, but he's good. You know, you can run the ball. Let's put it to you that way. The, the running backs. I mean, I, I like Boston Scott. I like Miles. I They're love fine. Boston Scott. They're fine. You're going to run the ball because of the offensive line. That's why you're right. Run the ball. Right. You're all, you. You. They're perfectly great. That's a really good offense. Yeah. Okay. It is. Okay. So the defense, which wasn't very good last year, I think portends to be very good. You got Hassan Reddick. You got a pass rusher, which was a real weakness last year. We'll see how the scheme works for him. I hope it does. Uh, we're all in love with Jordan Davis. Currently my favorite Philadelphia Eagle. <laughs> I think, you know, when, it, when you talk about the pass rush, he might be the key to it just because of occupying He'll potential to occupy so much attention in the middle. Yeah, the opposing centers are not going to enjoy games against him. No, they're not. You got real linebackers. Haven't had that for a while. You have real cornerbacks. Yeah, I, I hope Bradbury is the guy he was two years ago and not last mm-hmm. year. It's sometimes a guy's on a bad team, he can play poorly. Um and this gives Jonathan Gannon the opportunity to do what he didn't do last year, which is actually scheme a little bit. I feel like we're in that scene in Step Brothers where Will Ferrell and John John C. Riley are talking. Yeah. You know, did we just talk ourselves into the Eagles winning the Super Bowl? <laughs> I don't know about that, but I think they're going to be very good. By the way, weakness, team's big weakness, special teams, which looked awful again yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll be honest, Glenn. Like, I am coming around to the idea and I, I actually raised this uh, during a press conference uh, during training camp. Does is it necessary for a team to put a punt returner back there? Yeah, because well, just yeah, just so the ball doesn't roll to the one. Yeah, like catch the ball. But so many bad things it seems like yeah, happen. I know. <laughs> They're giving you the ball back. I know. Just take it. Yeah. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four coming up. Oh, it's going to be special. Hugh Douglas, the Eagles' newest team Hall of Famer, will join us. 
Next, Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. We're endeavoring to get in touch with Hugh Douglas. Uh, it's one of those things where the call goes to voicemail. So when we get him, we will put him on. But uh, in the meanwhile, we'll talk to Jack in Roxborough. Hey, Jack, how are you? Good morning, guys. Everything's fantastic here. Good. Uh, I just, I'm totally stunned and amazed. I'm, watch, I'm walking on uh, clouds over here with my birds. And the whole off season, the draft, I'm reading about all these moves we're making, and and everybody's saying, wow, the Eagles are really putting something together. Last night I got to see it. I saw my quarterback, my offense, go out there, opening drive, prepared, adrenalized, six for six, 80 yards, touchdown. It's like I, I just I loved it. I saw my defense out there running a – a 5-2 and a 4-3, and we got linebackers flying to the ball and stuff. Everything seems like it's going exactly the way it's supposed to. We lose Kelsey. Huge, huge, except we got Cam in there. And he's sitting there, and he's barking out the, 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 the protection lines and everything, and then going out there, getting to the second tier, knocking guys down, and then jumping on top of them so they're not going anywhere. It just seems like for the first time in a couple years, they're just, they're prepared. There's depth. There's talent. I just, I can't wait till the season starts. I, I, I just want to do away with preseason. Let's go play some ball. I support you fully in doing away with the preseason, Jack. <laughs> that, would be, that would be fine with me. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because having been around the team for, you know, three or four practices so far in camp, you do get the sense that they know they're pretty good. Um, and one of the things that's been kind of um, reassuring about the team is the way that the veterans on it have spoken about their potential to be good. You hear guys like Brandon Graham and Jason Kelsey say all the right things about, hey, look, it doesn't mean anything now. It, look, it looks like we're shaping up to be pretty good. We're, we're excited about the depth and the young guys. But let's not put the cart before the horse. Um, and that's what you want to hear at this stage of the season. Well, I think it's huge having Graham back. I Just as the leader aspect, never mind the talent and the experience, just as a leader, getting him over there, uh, I just – I lost my train of thought. <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. You, you made some good points. Absolutely agree with you. And, yeah, it's nice having Brandon Graham back for, it is. you know, maybe his last season. Uh, he he says he wants to play beyond this season. Okay. Um, we'll see. And I think they'll keep him around as long as it's possible to keep him around. Yeah. Well, guys like him and Kelsey are the guys who are, who are you know, ties to, to that Super Bowl, and you love it because when you are the Eagles, when you are a sports franchise, you want to keep ties to that. By the way, it is time for This Week in Philadelphia Sports History, brought to you by Scheib Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or scheibsports.com. Hey, let's hear a great highlight from one of my favorite Eagles. King drops the throw. And is hit just as he let the ball go, or did he let it go? This might be the Eagles' ball. I think it is. I'll tell you, Hugh Douglas came from that backside and really unloaded on Sean King. You know, Hugh Douglas, if I were you, I would have John Madden talking about my greatness as my, like, cell phone ring for the rest of my life. <laughs> 
Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Philadelphia. What's going on? Everybody? How are you? Hugh, uh, I'm here with Mike Sealski, and let me just start with congratulations. When I heard Jeff Laurie at halftime saying that Trent Cole and Hugh Douglas are going into the Eagles Hall of Fame, I thought, what great news for my old friend. When and how did you find out, Hugh, that you're going to be honored? You know, it's funny. Uh, Jeff Laurie called me like a week ago, and he stressed that, you know, he wanted to keep it under wraps. So I didn't say anything because the last time I heard something like this, I prematurely said something about it and I kind of blew the celebration <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure I didn't say anything. So I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything to anybody. I told my boss, I told my boss, Mike Conti here uh-huh. that, 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 that was going on. And that was about the only person that I told because I didn't want it to leave. Because I knew, you know how when you get a phone call and you just know they really want to keep this under wraps? Sure. Mm. I didn't want to be that guy. Because I had been that guy before. I didn't want to be that guy this time. Well, you've always been a chatterbox. It's one of the th- it's actually one of the fun <laughs> things about you. Basically, that's why that's why I don't get invited to golf tournaments, golf outings, anything like that. I talk too much. So I, I made sure <laughs> this time I didn't say anything. Hugh, I think people here remember you first and foremost as a terrific pass rusher and, and before i get into this congratulations um but i'm looking at your numbers from your career with the eagles and one of the things that jumps right out to me is that in the 2000 season you had 15 sacks but you also led the nfl in tackles for a loss with 21 and then two years later in 2002 you had 12 and a half sacks but again led the nfl in tackles for a loss with 20 how important was it to you to be able to play every aspect of your position did that really matter to you no it didn't to be totally honest you know what it started to matter and, and i tell this story all the time jeremiah trotter was the guy who who really got me to like to like hone in and, and play the run better because i remember being in the huddle one time and, and tried telling me yo man uh, you know, you got to play the run better. And I was like, I said, F you, Trot, that's your job. <laughs> I was like, that's your job. I said, my job is to get sacks. I said, that's what I'm here to do. And Trot, I remember, we were, I forgot who we were playing. He'll probably remember. But he said, listen, man, I need you to play the run. He said, how about this? He said, if, if I tell you when it's a run play, he said, when it's definite pass, I'll let you go. He said, but come on, man, because you, 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 you break it down in integrity and defense. And he was right. He was right. I was playing as an individual. And so when he told me that, I said, okay, bet. So then that's when we were all on the same page. You know, trot back there. You know, he could see what everything was going on. And he would tell me, man, and it just made it easier to play because you kind of knew. He watched so much film that he knew, you know, formations and everything. So he was the guy that really, really got me to lock in and, and Hugh Douglas is our guest. Hugh and Trent Cole are going to be uh, put into the Eagles Hall of Fame on it was November 27th, I believe yes. it is. Um, Hugh, I want to talk about the first time I ever saw you play, which is when you were with the Jets. Jody McDonald and I arranged a bus trip to go up to watch the Eagles play the Jets on a rainy, miserable Saturday. And what I remember, but I think it was your second season, 96, and uh-huh. you went up against Jermaine Mayberry, Mayberry, excuse me, who was the Eagles' first round draft pick the year before. You had three sacks that game. You recovered a fumble. Eagles won late, but we're all watching you dominate that game. Uh, I don't know what question to ask you out of that, except what you remember and what it was like to play on those Jets team. Because man, 
they lost a lot of games. They lost a lot of games, but I remember that game in particular because that was the game where Ty Detmer was quarterbacking. And you needed that. I remember that because the Eagles needed that game to make it to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They were they were uh, they were on a they were on a little bit of a slide, and I remember we were having a rough season. I think we were well, my second year. We were like one in we we went like one in fifteen, so we had only won one game. I think that was it. So I remember Ty Detmer saying something to the effect that if we lose to the Eagles, we got to be stupid or something like that. Because basically saying we were sorry, we were. Sorry. If you lose to the Jets, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, if you lose to the Jets, we were sorry. No question about that. But I, that stuck in my head. And I remember a reporter asking me about that game and, and how did I feel. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to do everything in my power to try to hurt him. Not knowing that NFL was listening. <laughs> <laughs> if you do anything to Ty Debra, you're going to get fined, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, I was, I was really trying – I was on a mission to try to spoil the Eagles' playoffs hopes that year. That, that's what I was on. That's what I was trying to do within the realm of the game. Yeah, you got close. That's what I remember got about close. that. Hugh – Early in your career, Glenn Glenn mentioned it. You you lost. You were on teams that lost a lot. Your rookie year with the Jets, the team goes three and thirteen. Second year, they go one and fifteen. Then Parcells comes in. You have a winning season, nine and seven, and then you end up getting traded to the Eagles. And your first season with the Eagles is Ray Rhodes last year as head coach, and that team goes three and thirteen. So through the first four years of your career, the teams you're on win sixteen games and lose fifty two. How did you deal with that? How did you get through that to the point where you could continue playing as well and as hard as you did? You know, the, the first couple of years in New York, it was rough because it was just me. It, it was me up there, and it was just, you know, the transition from being from a small town, going to New York was, was pretty tough. And then coming to the Philadelphia Eagles, that was even tougher because there was high expectations. That was a year. Bobby Hoyne was coming off a pretty good season with John Gruden. I remember that vividly. And, and there was high hopes for the Philadelphia Eagles. But I, the thing that I remember about Philadelphia the most, the most is coming through the airport the first time I visited and everybody telling me how that, you got to beat Dallas. I just remember that, man. And, and I'm, I'm walking through the airport. I'm coming from New York. You got to understand. I'm coming from a, from a big city where nobody knew who I was for the most part. Like nobody know who I was. Yeah. So coming to coming to Philadelphia, walking through that airport, and having people knowing who I was, not only knew who I was, but knew where I used to play and how important it was to beat Dallas, and and, and reiterating that to me, that was something that was different, man. That that was a feeling that as, as a professional athlete that I cannot describe, and I try to tell people that, and and it's it's like it's hard to put into words, but the passion that the Eagles fans had, even though we were bad, they still came to games. They still yelled and cheered, even though we went 3-13, and like we had a shot to win. That was That's what it was, man, because they never gave up. They, yeah. they never gave up. They were always with us. Now, the flip side of that is this. When you were bad, you were told you were bad. Oh, yeah. Like you, Ooh, there, yeah. Was, there was no sugarcoating that, because I remember a couple times being out in the city that year. And people ask me, hey, man, don't you need to be somewhere practicing? You guys stink. Like, for real. <laughs> like, and I remember that, that. That's what it was, man. It was that passion. It was that passion of the fans that, that drove me. You know, because you didn't want to be that guy that is remembered in Philadelphia 
for not being that guy. Well, for being that guy that was like, that was horrible. Listen, like the like the coin the phrase where, where even the millennials can understand. I don't want to be Ben Simmons, man. I didn't want to be. Ben <laughs> I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be known as a Ben Simmons type dude. You know what I mean? And it's unfortunate that you know. I mean, you know, Ben Simmons. I, I guess he's a good guy, but not in Philadelphia. Not, not so much. much. Not yeah. in not in not Brooklyn so either. So yeah. Hugh. So Hugh. <laughs> Uh, and then things change, and then things get great, and the defense has guys like you and Trot and Hollis and uh, Troy Vincent and Bob Taylor and Brian Dawkins, and the guy running the, the whole thing on defense is Jim Johnson. What what impact did he have on you? What was he like to play for? You know what, Jim Johnson was a guy too, man. Jim, Jim, I, what I remember about Jim was that Jim's ability to put his players are success, in position to be successful. That's what I remember. Jim, Jim, Jim had a defense that he liked to run, but he also understood that, you know, everybody was an – like everybody had their own way of, of learning things and everybody had their own way of doing things. And I, so much so that I remember one time, uh, Jim Johnson was installing his defense. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I kept – Screwing the defense up because I kept going, I kept coming underneath the tackle and going inside. I was making the play, but that wasn't the way that Jim Johnson designed the defense. And I remember, I remember being at a meeting one day, and he said, "Okay, off of this defense, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do something different. We're gonna call it the wing stunt. We're gonna call it, you know, we're gonna call it the wing stunt." He didn't say it was because I kept going underneath the tackle. He just said, you know, we, we found like we've had a little bit of success running this place, so we're going to start running the wing stunt. And I remember um, Brandon, Brandon Whiting said, yeah, because you keep screwing up the defense, he's not running it right, so we had to change it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. It works. So it, that was one of the things I remember. Jim, Jim was a hell of a man, though. He really, really was. Hugh, looking back, um, what do you make now in retrospect of your decision to sign with Jacksonville um, before the 2003 season. Oh man, listen, uh, it was one of those decisions. It was it was um, driven by money, no question about that. And and you know what? To be honest, it's hard to say. You know, I know how I would like it to play out, how I would have liked it to play out. But you know, I'm still a young kid at the time. Just had a son. That was a financial decision for me that I made for me and my family. I can't honestly, as, as bad as it went down there, I can't honestly say that I probably wouldn't have done the same thing under the circumstance. Mm-hmm. I really can't. I mean, that, that's just being totally honest because of the timing of everything. Now, like looking back at it now, does money mean as much to me as it did back then? Probably not as much, but back then it, it really, really did. It was, it was a serious motivator for the decision that I made. But when you talk about what the city of Philadelphia has given me, you know, when I retired, I lived there for 10 years and, and just, the, the 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 passion of the fans, you know, I love I love it there. I love it there. But but to make that financial decision, I I don't know, man. I probably still make it. I probably still make it. Hey, listen, I I appreciate that. Somebody hands me that money, I'm I'm taking it. Uh, let me wrap up with this because you're now doing radio down in Atlanta, very successful. Uh, and you 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 broke in here. Um, you work with Angelo in the mornings. You did. I was telling people I loved doing the pregame shows with you. I, it always, it always was great. And um, your shows with Rob Cherry, man, you guys had such great chemistry. I, I mean, I don't know what my question is, but 
I loved you as a radio personality here, and I know you've stayed in the media, and and um, you're really good yeah, at. Yeah, listen. Do you know? Do you know what I remember about my my friend Angry Bob Cherry? Like that was you talk about the absolute best radio partner to have. Because me and Rob would do shows at, at Philly's games, and Rob would show up and say, "Hey, man, what you want to talk about?" Like five minutes before the show started. <laughs> And we would do, and you know, like, you know, like, since I've learned my radio jargon now, you know, back then, we didn't have, like, on the weekend, we didn't have long breaks. Yep. And we were, we were doing five-hour shows. Yes, you were. Like, so so can you imagine, so Glenn, you can appreciate this, probably not anybody else can, but to do a five-hour show and not have a template or a game plan for wow. five hours and still be entertaining. Yeah, Rob could do that. that you was, could do that. Like, that that was that was Rob Cherry in a nutshell. Yep. To do a five-hour show and not even have a show sheet. Like, here, you know, it's the, you know now you get show sheets, you do show plan, show prep, and all that stuff. No, me and Rob Cherry used to do shows. Like, hey, man, what you got? Let's, okay, let's go. <laughs> well, you worked with Angelo, and An- Angelo's the flip side of that, right? Yes. Figures it, it, out every it, segment. Man, listen. Like to to and that's what I tell people all the time, man. I'm like, I cut my teeth in radio in probably the best city in the world, and and it's it's one of those things where I don't take it lightly, and and the things that I've learned being in Philadelphia, being on the air, I mean, man, those are those don't, some of those lessons are something that I take with me even today. Like you know, to work with Rob Cherry and just being able to be off the cuff like that. That was that's huge, and to be Angelo knowing that he gets up extra early in the morning and have every bit of his day plotted out so that he knows exactly where he wants to go. And not only that, Glenn, you know he he's a stickler for that time now. Oh you know? yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know he's a stickler for that time. So yeah, I mean, man, just just it's it's everything, everything about Philadelphia, man. And that's why when I got the news, I'm just like, wow, that's. All right. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. I got one more story to tell, and I've never told this story. I don't even know if you remember this, but I, I, you, uh, you and I always had a pretty good relationship. There was one time where Hugh and I had an argument, right? Ooh. Yes, and we were, we were in the auxiliary studio, and Hugh was done with the argument, so he got up to leave. And I, like an idiot, was not done with the argument, <laughs> and so I stood up, and I was between Hugh Douglas and the door. And Hugh, I don't even know if you remember this. Oh, my God. And Hugh, Hugh who could throw an offensive tackle 20 yards, looked at me and said, Glenn, get out of my way. <laughs> and I want to thank you, Hugh, for not throwing me for, for through taking the wall pity on you. Yes. when the no. opportunity was there. No, Glenn, you know what, man? It, it, it's one of those things where I, I, I respected you, and I still respect you. And it was never – as as upset as you probably were at me, I was not that upset with you. Well, I appreciate because that. There's been, there's been, listen, I still get cussed out by Rhea Hughes. Rhea Hughes, <laughs> like, ask for the story. The last time I was there, we're not going to get into detail, but Rhea Hughes gave me a few choice words. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Like, Rhea, like, and Angelo has definitely cussed me out. Of oh, yeah. Oh, all of us. No, but it's, it's one of those things where – it's like you receive it because you're learning from, from, from radio icons. And every and I knew that where you were coming from, it wasn't from a place of hatred or anything like that. So it was not a big deal. It was it was more for me a learning experience, just like it is with Rhea. If Rhea if Rhea calls me and the first words that she used are colorful cuss words, <laughs> somewhere I screwed up. That's not who Rhea is. Wow. Well, somewhere 
Somewhere I screwed up. You you are not you you rarely screwed up on the radio. You almost never screwed up on the field. Uh, you are an icon uh, in this town, and having you, congratulations on the Hall of Fame. And I look forward to seeing you because they will bring you to the pregame show on November 27th, and we get to do it one more time, man. Yes, we do. Indeed. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate you. All right. Congratulations. We'll talk to you again. I love that guy. You know, I'm just so good. I'm very appreciative of this opportunity that you've given me to be your partner, and I'm very appreciative that Hugh did not grind you into a fine powder oh, long gosh. ago was, so that we could do the show together. I don't know what I was thinking. I, you know, again, it's like it's right. You, you and I are new. We have not had an argument yet. We will. Uh, and one of the I, things about this business I don't argue with anybody. is people will speak candidly to each other, sure. right, with colorful words. And I, I it's like... He's getting up to leave the room, and I'm standing up, and like uh, I, you know, he he very nicely said, "Glenn, <laughs> you don't want to be in my way," and he was he was correct. He could have bull rushed you but right he, out of the. He studio. was a great player, and he was a great. He was a great presence in the in the locker room. He, he really was. was the guy who kept everybody loose. He was a good leader. He was tough. He was he was all that. That defense was something else. Uh, I mean, you listed the names talking with him. Yeah. You know, Hugh Douglas, Brian Dawkins, Troy Vincent, Bobby Taylor, Jeremiah Trotter. Yep. You know, other guys who cycled in and out who were solid players. Just, you know, it was a heck of a time to cover that and team. And Jim Johnson coaching him. Yep. Yep. Uh, let's get Bob and Bethany Beach before the break. Hello, Bob. Hello, fellas. Hi, Bob. Hey, good to good to hear from you on a Saturday. Um, my my, I guess my overall comment about last night is I thought it was a wonderful start to the season. And I'll, I will say this, which is kind of my negative part of it. The fact that folks point out like one play for Jalen Hurts and, and then get a kind of not depressed, but a little paranoia about it just drives me crazy. <laughs> Well, Mike, uh, I think he's, I'm not sure who's talking I think talking Bob is there. talking about Bob me. Might be. Yeah, go ahead. Look, Bob, I, I don't want to make more of it than it is. I don't want to suggest that Jalen Hurts is a terrible quarterback or you know the Eagles are, are lost and they're going to have a disappointing season or anything like that. I, I do feel, though, and, and you can feel it in this show, people are very optimistic and very excited about this season, and... If we're going to hold the Eagles to that standard, that they are going to compete for the NFC East championship and could potentially make a deep playoff run, then you're going to have to get top-level play out of Jalen Hurts, and I just would have liked to have seen a different result on that play. So, by the way, I just want to say one more time that Hugh Douglas's uh, appearance was our uh, segment this week in Philadelphia Sports History, brought to you by Scheib Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or ScheibSports.com. What I originally was going to do before we reached Hugh was, uh, actually, maybe I'll do this tomorrow, uh, but I'll just say that today is the anniversary of the night that they signed Mike Vick. Yes. In- and, like, nobody saw it coming. I remember exactly where I was. I was having dinner with my wife in Kennett Square, and my phone started buzzing. And I looked at it, and I said out loud, oh, my God. And she's like, what's what's the matter? This can't be true. The, the Eagles just signed Michael Vick. 
215-592-9494. We got a couple of people on hold who want to talk about the Phillies. Don't go anywhere because I want to talk with you about the Phillies. Coming up before that is what we're watching. Ooh, Mike watched a big time documentary. We'll get the details on that. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. All the right. Carrying a briefcase which held explosives. He asks for $200,000 and four parachutes. Once his demands have been met, jumps out of a damn jet in the middle of the night. I mean, there's just something kind of badass about that. When he got on a plane last night, he was just another passenger, but today, master criminal. All right, we got Walter Cronkite in there and everything. It's time for what we're watching, sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Windows' big summer sales event. Receive 40% off of windows and doors. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. Well, what you just heard was a little sounder for a Netflix documentary, D.B. Cooper, Where Are You? And, Mike, you checked that out this week. I did. It's a four-part documentary, as you said, on Netflix. Um, I thought it was terrific. Uh, it, it delves into both the case of D.B. Cooper itself, and for those who aren't familiar, 50 years ago, 1971, uh, a gentleman in sunglasses and a three-piece suit uh, boards an airplane in the Pacific Northwest and hijacks it, asks for $200,000, and then jumps out of the plane uh, after the entire crew and, and all the passengers have been deboarded, not the crew, but the passengers, um, and disappears. And no one knows what happened to him. Did he die? Did he survive? What the heck happened? And it's been this mystery for a half century, and the documentary gets into that it gets into the people who have devoted their lives to trying to solve it um and it is as i said terrific i'm a sucker for these kinds of things mm-hmm. for zodiac and true crime and Love all of true that crime yeah yeah and it it had me from the word go so do they so you you talked about the case of this guy gets to the plane and jumps out with all the money and um Becomes a folk hero. Yes. Right? And there, I remember, I remember you see t-shirts like, where is D.B. Cooper and so on. It, it becomes a, a big part of um, pop culture in a way. It does. There's a famous scene in Breaking Bad, for instance, where um, Saul Goodman uh, asks uh, Walter White, you know, Walter White is dressed, you know, in a hat and dark sunglasses. Oh, I guess we can say the D.B. Cooper case has been solved. <laughs> and it, it comes up over and over again. Yeah. And, and again, there are, it's not just that there are investigative journalists and former FBI members who have devoted themselves to trying to solve this case, it is a kind of a cult point of interest in the Pacific Northwest. There are D.B. Cooper conventions and there's a Cooper Con and there's all this kind of, you know, oddball, nerdy kind of stuff wrapped up around who is D.B. Cooper. And the interesting part of the documentary to me was how much time they spend on some of these investigators and how it gets into the idea of... Um, people kind of reaffirming what they already think, right? There's a there's one investigator who's literally devoted his entire life to this, mm-hmm. and he thinks he knows who D.B. Cooper is, and so he kind of shuts out every other piece of evidence okay. that suggests yeah. otherwise. Yeah. And it's a neat look at, like, how you can get caught up in thinking you're right and, you know, disregarding the things that could show you you are wrong. So... I'm sure they offered all these various hypotheses as to what happened, where he is, if he's alive. It's 50 years later. Good chance he's not alive. Right. Uh, From what you watched, what's your best guess? There's one suspect uh, that they focus on in particular uh, that seems to be kind of the consensus of who Cooper was. 
but nobody really knows that, you know, just when you think, and that's what's cool about the series is that just when you think, oh, it's got to be this guy, the director uh, introduces other interviewees and other information that make you go, oh, wait a minute, it must not be that guy. And that's what's intriguing about the whole thing. So I give it three and a half stars out of four. Um, It's got a cool catch me if you can kind of vibe to it oh love that movie yeah in the way it depicts what america was like back then which is totally foreign to a lot of people you know who are younger who were not around back then the idea of like walking into an airport and just buying a ticket for forty dollars and going wherever you wanted to go yes but with no security right no security and there you would get drinks on the plane and everybody could smoke on planes and all these things god life was good other than smoking all that is really appealing to me because just because flying so awful well and the other thing too is that there were so many plane hijackings back in the early 1970s it's almost like we've collectively forgotten about this cuba and yeah exactly and so all of that wrapped up it it just makes for a really cool viewing experience all right so the name of it is db cooper where are you netflix you said four parts uh how do you rate it as i said three and a half stars out of four three and a half out of four like it okay let's go to cheryl in haddonfield you're on with mike and glenn hey cheryl cheryl yes hi hey Hi, I'm Cheryl. a little nervous because I'm a first-time caller, even though I've been a long-time listener. Yeah, you're talking so, to two you. guys on the phone. That's no big deal. I like that. Thank you. So we're still talking about the Phillies game last night, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So um, I love that it's, when it's on Apple TV. Um, I've been a, a Phillies fan forever. Not a big fan of the commentators um, because they don't favor the Phillies. And I love when John Crux on on you know doing. You know, doing his uh, yeah. We like part. our we like our guys. We like our guys. Sure, and I do. I think the picture's better. However, what I love about having it on Apple TV, um, my boyfriend slash fiance is in London, and he can get Apple TV ah. when he's there, not here with me. So he's not a big sports fan, but because I'm such a big Sixers fan, and Phillies are my favorite team, and you know, I, I'm such a big sports fan. He has humored me and started to follow sports. So, so um, Cheryl, what's your what's your fiance's name? His name is Nigel Bennett. And where is he? He's in London right now. When's the last time you spoke to him? Uh, when I was doing my errands, driving around about a half hour ago. Oh or no, a little bit longer than that. All right, because there's interesting things, sir. What's your name, sir? Nigel. Oh my God! I <laughs> to do that. Hi. Oh my hi. God! Hi. How are you, honey? Hello, my. My beautiful fiance, I love you, and so I've sweet. never known anyone as knowledgeable about baseball as you. You've taught me everything, and it's fantastic. And I'll be over next week, and I really want to go to a game. I've never been to one. Thank you. Well, thanks for saying that. Well, uh, this is, we don't have this happen too often, just just to catch people up. Cheryl called. Nigel, I don't know how you knew she was going to call, but uh, you called in right around the same time. Uh, how how long you guys been engaged? Give us, you know, how'd you meet Cheryl? What's the story of this relationship? Oh gosh, it's a we, long story, so I'll cut it short on the radio. Yeah, um, I met him when I was fifteen at a show, and he was ten years older than I was. He was a guitar. He is a guitar player. A wow, guitar wow. player. Lost lost touch with him for years, and then about uh, ten years ago, we reconnected on Facebook, and he was married. I was married. Now we're both divorced. And we've been dating since about 2017. And the rest is history. We try to see each other as often as we can. And I love him. So, Nigel, you want to add anything? 
This is not Nigel Tufnell from Spinal Tap, right? <laughs> oh, that is so funny. No, I'm Nigel Bennett. I've been a professional guitarist for a long time, but I love Nigel Tufnell on Spinal Tap, but yeah. I am not him. I'm not him. <laughs> By the way, you, you've got the best voice that we've heard in a long time. You sound, Nigel, you sound like a character from Love Actually, uh, honestly. Oh, that's so funny. I've got a good face for radio. Well, we all do. And you're coming back next week, and you guys are going to go to a game together? I hope, oh, I hope so. so. I hope so. I'm coming in on Wednesday, and I'm there for three weeks. So, well, they're, they're here know. next weekend against the Mets. Would you do us a favor? We, we yeah. love you guys, by the way. Um, oh, and this has really been fun. After you go to the game, could you both give us a call, either Please, together yes. or, or apart? Because, Nigel, you've never been to a ball game? No, and I've, I've seen loads on TV, on Apple TV here as well, like Cheryl said, but I've never been to a live game, and I really want to. Oh, they're more fun. Any, they're more fun live. Got any tickets by any chance? Uh, you know what? <laughs> Cheryl, do me a favor. Do me a yeah. favor. Yeah. I'm gonna, well, our producer, Mosh, is going to get your number, and we'll see if we can work something out. I love oh, you guys. Wonderful. Can I, can I add one quick thing? Quickly. Really quick? Yeah, sure. I know you guys have other callers. So... Um, when he's in London and the Sixers are on, I, we FaceTime each other, and he loves James Harden. Nigel loves James Harden. So mm -hmm. I turn the, my computer around, and we watch the Sixers game together. And, you know, I'm not as knowledgeable about the Sixers, but at least we get to bond over that. That's great. Over wow. that. You know what? This is, I love your relationship. Uh, it's oh. a great story, and it's really nice to talk to you both. And um, we'll talk to you guys again, okay? Absolutely. Thank Have a great day, guys. So Thank you. All right, Nigel. Thank you, guys. Be well. There and, you go. A Philadelphia, an international Philadelphia sports love story. Pretty right? amazing. Oh, that's great. Pretty amazing. <laughs> He's got the best voice. Oh, right? he, he sounds like an You're actor. You're right. He does. He sounds like an actor. Yeah, he does. 215-592-9494. That was a lot of fun. Uh, with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow. So you looked up Nigel Bennett, eh? He's a uh, very accomplished guitarist. Tours, does albums, um, quotes of endorsement from Adam Clayton of U2. He's wow. a real deal. Our new friend. We'll have him on. I didn't know anybody would get the Nigel Tufnell uh, reference, but he did, and I guess you did. We cranked that interview up to 11, man. Yeah, that's it. It was a great, great movie. Uh, Glenn in Hatboro is with us. Glenn, it was a great win by those Phils last night, wasn't it? Absolutely, Glenn. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Mike, welcome aboard. Thank you, you Glenn. A great job. Thanks. I appreciate Glenn, that. You made a good decision picking Thank you. Mike. He's Thank really you. really filling in nicely. Why, the game was unbelievably exciting. It was like it was back in 2009 and 2008. We as a family were sitting on the edge of our seats the entire game because the Phillies were getting hits. So it wasn't like, even though they didn't score a lot of runs, there was some excitement each inning. You, you had a chance to do something. But the, to me, the most exciting play in baseball is the sacrifice fly because it's all set up. It's a high fly ball. You're waiting for the catch. The runner's at third base, and the gun goes off, and here comes a race to home. And the fact that it went the Phillies' way on two of them in the same inning almost was unbelievable. And again, the to win, to win that game was like they won the World Series. Well, they're not there yet, but... <laughs> I, I get your excitement. I have, it was I have Scherzer. I mean, the thing is, the it's Scherzer, right? Yeah. That, and he beat Alcantara and Scherzer in the same week. Th that's 
that that to me is the standout aspect of last night is that you go up against you know a multiple time Cy Young Award winner, probably pound for pound the best starting pitcher in the National League, and you're going at him with Ranger Suarez, and in the long term, you know, i.e. the rest of the season, look at what Ranger Suarez has done over his last five starts. He is an ERA under one and a half. He is 28 in the third innings, I think, 25 strikeouts, six walks. Batters are hitting 206 against him. That's really encouraging. You know, the idea of the Phillies having somebody other than Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola who can keep them in a game or even, you know, pitch them to a victory uh, is so vital in a pennant race. You bet. Glenn, thank you. Yes. Thank you, buddy. Enjoy. Yep. So he had that really good year last year. Yeah. None of us really, I think, bought into it that, I mean, his numbers last year were similar to what you're saying now. Yes. Right? And I think we all thought, yeah, well, I don't know. I shouldn't say we. I thought, you know what? He comes back this year. He's a fourth starter. That's great. He's he's a lot more than that. Two words for you, Glenn. Yeah. Crafty Crafty lefty. lefty. Um, Yes, sir. Look, you know, if you're going to be a team that wins consistently or even wins for one season, to be honest, you need developments like this. You need a Ranger Suarez to kind of come out of nowhere the year before and develop into a mainstay in the team. So the team that has had no farm system for the last 10 years, if suddenly Alec Baum looks like a player, you got Bryson Stott coming along, you got Suarez, Sir Anthony back from the injury looking really good. Mm-hmm. I'm probably, am I leaving anybody out? Uh, good young players on this team that came through the system? Um, looking to see. I mean, do you count? You don't count Zach Eflin, I guess, because he started no, somewhere no, else. No, no, no. Okay. No. Um, just taking a quick inventory here. Okay. Uh, no, Still, I think that's that's about it. Yeah, a, good, a lot better than they've done in the, in a few years before that. Are we going to be holding parades for Matt Klintak? Uh, uh No, okay. uh, but we are going to be talking to our uh, friend from Cooper Bone and Joint, as we always do at this time. Doctor David Gelft is with us. Doc, how are you on this beautiful summer day? Pretty good. Tell your dad a uh, happy birthday, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you. That's so nice of you. Thank you so much. Um, so, we actually have a few injuries to talk with you about. Uh, Mike, you want the baseball or the football one? Take your choice. Let's do football first. All right. Uh, Dr. Jason Kelsey's elbow. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard from a lot of Eagles fans over the last couple of days, because I had written a column recently about Jason during the summertime, um, you know, why was this done now? How serious is it really? You know... There have been examples in recent NFL history of players coming back relatively quickly. Uh, kind of take us through the idea of getting your elbow cleaned out if you're a pro athlete and exactly what this means and how long you know, we should expect to wait before we see Kelsey back on the field. Sure. Um, so in his, in his uh, aspect, uh, he had some bone spurs most likely. Sometimes you can have like a little chips or bones, you know, a little loose bodies or cartilage in the elbow. and. It's a really more just soreness and it's arthritis, so to speak. Um, sometimes you have irritation with trying to extend your arm or trying to flex and extend. And if it causes some irritation or even locking or mechanical issues, and sometimes you do have to go in and scope it and just clean that out, and you just take out those little pieces or you shave off a little, a little bone spur. Um, the good thing is uh, it's more of a minor procedure. Uh, it doesn't take a long time. Once you take it out, then you're feeling much better because you don't have that irritation there of the bone or the cartilage piece. 
Uh, so usually within you know, four to six weeks, you're, you're moving around pretty good and you don't have any issues and you can get back to playing. Well, four to six weeks is a big is a That's, big number because four yeah. weeks he's back for the season, six weeks right. he's not. Right. And obviously you you know you're not in a position to say, but. That's the window that everybody's worried about. Um, let's go to the Phillies. Kyle Schwarber uh, missed the last few games with strain in his calf muscle. The good news is yesterday, you're not going to have to put him on. Um, it used to be the disabled list. What yeah. the heck they call it now? Whatever. Uh, injured, the injured list. Whatever. Yeah, well, yeah, the IL now. I guess disabled, they didn't want to say anymore. Um, but I, what I read is that calf uh strains calf pulls can be very tricky because it's something you can really do again tell us about that muscle and what concern we should have yeah so any soft tissue uh issue you know we've talked about before um depends on the extreme on how bad there's different ranges you know grade one two and three um with his standpoint the fact that he wasn't put on the il it's more of a mild issue um where sometimes you can just stretch it out a little bit but no definitive tearing so just have to let it settle down, let it calm down and decrease inflammation, um, do some rehab or just keep it stretched out and immobilized. And then as long as you're doing well, you can keep moving forward. Issue with soft tissue problem, if you go back too soon, too quickly, or overdo it, then you can sometimes take one step forward, two steps back, and then you get this you know, chronic issue. So hopefully, um, the fact that he's not on the IL, it's a good sign, and hopefully he should be back shortly. There you go. And i got Bryson Stott as a leadoff hitter who gets on base every time, so it's going to be there okay until right. he gets there. Doc? It is always a pleasure. You feeling good about your Eagles right now? And the uh, you know the first uh, series was really good. Um, I know your partner over there gave a, a opinion piece, uh, <laughs> but you blast know, him if you like. Least, I mean, I'm, not, I'll, I'll not, sit back and let you do it. Fire away, Doc. At least we're not. At least we're not Zach Wilson. I know. You know, he's already um, yeah. had some problems. I think they found out he had a bone bruise and possibly meniscus. So. At least we're not uh, talking about that. There you go. And hopefully we will not be anytime soon. Dr. David Geld, always a pleasure. Enjoy your weekend, sir. You too, guys. Have a good one. Thank you, doctor. Be well. I'm getting critiqued from everywhere. Hey, this job? Yeah. Here's the thing. When when you're a writer and you're a fine, accomplished writer, columnist, uh, you get feedback on, on Twitter. I know you do because you respond to it. <laughs> I'm going to try to curtail that a little bit just so you don't keep rolling your eyes just, at me. Well, I just leave the show out of it. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> do whatever you want with your other stuff, but leave the show out of your responding to trolls. But, um, you know, you, you basically – the difference here is – They'll call up and tell you. Oh, yeah. They're not calling you at home yet, right? Not, right. I don't have a home number. Yeah, I don't right. have a house phone. Oh, right. That's true. <laughs> Who does? Um, I'm, I'm almost a millennial. <laughs> there you go. Irv, so I was going to get... Um, hold on, Irv. I'll get you a second. So I was going to get rid of my home phone because mm-hmm. it is useless. Yeah. And the only calls that ever come on it are, you know, crank calls or, mm-hmm. you know, solicitations. Solicitations, right. It's cheaper for me to have a home phone than to not because I have it wrapped into the whole package mm-hmm. of everything. And if I got rid of it, I lose the package and I pay more. So I have a home phone. I've just disconnected them all. <laughs> but I, I, it's like I'm thinking, like, how stupid is that? I yeah. still have to have a home line. Have you given any thought to, you know, cutting the cord and going all? I am absolutely interested in doing that and need to put in the research because mm-hmm. my my bill for all this yeah. is outrageous every month. Mm-hmm. Right? In part because I have, whatever, five TVs and in part because... 
I get, you know, Netflix and Hulu right. and Apple and you know, I get them all, and, you know, in part because of this job, in part because I sign up for them and never drop them. I haven't cut the cord yet and I will freely Let's admit- do it. Let's do that. Well, no. See, I'm too lazy. I, I just don't want to be bothered with having to set everything up again <laughs> so yeah, that but- I can watch the things I need and want to watch. Yeah, I'm going to let my wife handle all that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm I'm looking into that. My sons have both done it. Okay. And they, again, they come to my house and it's they roll their eyes that yeah. I you know still haven't. But we'll- well, this is all eventually going to come around again, where everybody's going to cut the cord and it's going to get so expensive that they're going to go back to the grid with everything. Oh, okay, you great. Know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm just waiting for that. All right, Irv. Thanks for your patience. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Sure. I love listening to you guys. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Irv. Uh, I was very impressed by Hertz. Not as much by his play, which was, you know, a limited sample, but he played well. But how he responded to that outrageous hit, how he just got up, went back to the field and let his linemen support him and his coach support him, showing his his team what a leader he is, what a tough guy he is. And I think that's really, really important for this team to have somebody like that as their quarterback. I think it's a. I think you're right on, Irv. I think it's one of Jalen's uh, greatest strengths as a quarterback is the way his teammates respond to him, the way he interacts with them, kind of the model that he shows. You know, that's that's something that in the modern NFL seems to have been de-emphasized over time. You know, we we focus so much, and part of this is because of daily betting and fantasy sports and looks at analytics. We focus so much on. What throws the quarterback can make? Does he get the ball down the field? The technical aspects of the position. But there is something to be said for being a leader on the field. And that was something, go back 20, 30 years, was probably the, the number one priority in a team looking for a quarterback. It's kind of been de-emphasized. I think Hertz has it, you know, it, 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 he really has it. Yeah, and, you know, you saw, uh, Maya Lott, imagine you're the guy who hit Hurts and Maya Lotta is bearing yeah. down on you yes. from across the field. Yep. It's like a, it's like a uh, Sherman tank headed you away, and you have no armor. You know, and to their credit, they didn't do anything physical except show up and let those guys know that that wasn't going to happen to their quarterback. Great point. Without, without payment. Irv, great point, and thanks for the call. And yeah, Milata can just show up, and he's intimidating. Oh, my goodness. But he's such a nice guy off the field. Yeah. I mean, the contrast between who his size and what he can do as a tackle versus yep. his demeanor off the field, and he plays the guitar and is a nice guy, it's it's can remarkable. Sing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he, and he is mean on the field, oh, which is yeah. an attribute on the field. Um, but yeah, he's, he's certainly not off the field. Uh, what was I going to say? I don't remember. All right. Two on five, five, nine, two, 94, 94. Good time to get in. We've kind of cleared out some of the calls. 12 o'clock hour. We will take more. We've had a good time today talking about two teams. You know what? We never said that the Eagles lost last night. Oh, I just did. realized that. It, they it did. like has never come and up. And they blew it in the closing minutes. Yeah, they took it, a late lead and yeah. allowed them to drive the length of the field. Uh, John Harbaugh would not be happy, man. No. He likes to win those preseason games. Anyway, that none of that means anything. The Eagles, I think, fans have to be really happy with that performance. And the Phillies playing the best they have since 2011. It's really fun to watch. So we'd like to hear from you. 215 9494 with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now this hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank. Business banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. 
Uh, I always like to work all four sports, all four local teams uh, into the conversation. We certainly had a lot of good discussion about the Eagles and the Phillies. Uh, anything about the Flyers? I got nothing on the Flyers. No. Anything? Okay, nothing to say. Nothing. All right, so the Sixers, however. Ah. So um, there has been chatter this week in that Kevin Durant clearly wants out from Brooklyn. Uh, and made it known, said, uh, either fire the GM co- and coach or trade me. Which <laughs> This sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. Basketball's like no other sport in that it way. It isn't. There is, there are, nobody's doing that in the NFL. No, because the players in the NFL don't have the leverage and power that players in the NBA do. Right. So this started rumors of where is he going to go, and this, you know, people in Philadelphia would clearly love to see him play, and this week, uh, a report for SNY in New York, Jan, excuse me, not Jan, Ian, Ian Begley, said that the Sixers have interest in a Durant trade. Well, of course they would have interest in Durant. He's Kevin Durant. Yes. Okay, that goes without saying, and that Durant would potentially be interested in playing here. Um... Give me your thoughts on that, and then second of all, which I guess is the the larger question, the more important question is, is there any freaking way the Sixers could ever get something like that done? This is what drives the NBA not only during the offseason, but it seems more and more during the actual season. Uh, the games itself, the 82 that each team plays, matter less and less, and the scuttlebutt around the league and who's going where and why they're going there and what teammate gets along with this teammate or his best friend is on the other team, then they're going to end up together. It's all, this is what drives discussion about the NBA. So it doesn't surprise me that the Sixers got mentioned because I think, as you said, Durant wants to get out of Brooklyn. Right. He and his agents, you know, and the and the people around him are going to say and do kind of anything they feel like they need to say and do to get him out of Brooklyn. And if mentioning the Sixers uh, helps them do that, then maybe it does. It doesn't necessarily mean there's any uh, fire to the smoke. And I no, I don't think I don't this is something. How, the Sixers, what, what do they got to trade? No, uh, all the discussion about this this week is centered around: Would you give up Tyrese Maxey in this deal? I know, and a lot of fans say they wouldn't, which you know, put down the. Uh, um, my wife. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what I was going to say. Yeah, get I can get say real. It. You put just down say the crack pipe. Yeah, get real. It. Right, um, but it's not going to happen. I mean, they can. No, and there's also a part of me. They don't have any. They don't have what you what you would have to offer. To do they it. don't have. And they don't have draft picks to trade. Right. Exactly. And if you're New Jersey, you already own the Sixers draft picks. So if you give the Sixers Kevin Durant, the Sixers get better, which lessens the value of the draft picks you've already got. Look, the, the idea of organically building a team in the NBA seems so far yeah. out of the realm of possibility anymore. It's it's all these machinations of who gets what. You know, I think it's part of the reason, to be honest, that the Golden State Warriors are such an appealing team uh, for people to watch and follow is that with the exception of Durant going there for those two years, they've won championships without him and they've done it through smart drafting. They've done it because they have a superstar in Steph Curry who is willing to kind of sacrifice himself a little bit, create a culture that allows other players to flourish, uh, that puts the team first, very Mm -hmm. similar to what Tim Duncan did with San Antonio. And so... Look, this is a lot of sound and fury. I would be stunned beyond belief if Kevin Durant ended up with the Sixers. Would you be stunned if he ended up with the Celtics? No. No, because they have 
the piece to move. Yeah, they do. But they built their team in the way we're talking about. You you draft Jalen Brown, you draft Jason Tatum, you build around them, and you make a finals. And then if you really feel like you need to make a big move, you have the resources to yeah, do it. Yeah, I'll hurt if he goes there. All right, one other basketball thing I want to mention, which is this week the NBA announced that it is retiring the number six uh, from the entire league to honor Bill Russell, who passed away. Um and by the way, players currently wearing it can. It was like when baseball retired Jackie Robinson. They can, you know, they're kind of grandfathered until they retire. Um, and the NBA announcement said, uh, "We want to make sure his transcendent career will always be recognized." And that's that's good, and that's fine. I don't know how to do this, but to me, if you're doing this, you have to acknowledge that Doc, yes, also wore number six. Julius Irving was an immensely important figure in the NBA, both in terms of being a player and a cultural figure and a guy who really helped transition the game out of a real low. Um, the NBA was really suffering back then until, you know, people say, oh, bird and magic. Yeah, bird and magic and Doc. Yeah. And Doc was part of that. And if you retire the number six for Bill Russell, somehow Doc's got to be be, he's got to be in there. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how to do it, but you can't ignore Doc. This is nothing against Bill Russell at all <laughs> and his effect on the sport and his work in the civil rights movement and all the things he did off the court. He is clearly a transcendent figure in North American sports history. But this to me is what happens when you start to retire the numbers league-wide mm -hmm. of more than just a very, very, very select few players. Jackie Robinson was the first, broke the color barrier. Right. Bill Russell did a lot of incredible things. He didn't do that. Right. And, and what you end up running into is a situation like this where Sixers have a player in Julius Serving, and this is actually going to be part of the subject matter for my next book. You're right, Glenn. Doc helped usher the NBA in professional basketball out of the dark ages. Mm -hmm. He was the most famous basketball player on the planet when he joined the Sixers. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge part of basketball history too. And I think what you're saying is you don't want to nullify that or overshadow yes. it yes. by having by telling the Sixers, sorry, Bill Russell comes first. Well it's almost like Bill Russell's the only guy who ever wore number six of right. of, of note. Yeah. And he's and not he's not he, he may be a larger figure in league history than Julius Irving, but Julius makes the top 20. Oh, yeah. The right? bullet. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't think people nowadays appreciate the fact that the best basketball player in the world, which was who was Julius Irving, arguably, in the early to mid-70s, like three quarters of the country never saw him play. Yeah. The ABA didn't have a national television contract. Right. If you saw Julius Irving, it was like seeing a Sasquatch. I mean, right. it was like, does he really exist? Right. And he went to the University of Massachusetts, so nobody saw him play college ball. Exactly. There was this air of mystery to him until he ended up with the Sixers. And actually, if you if you read up on Julius's history and his career, by the time he ends up with the Sixers, he's read his memoir. He's already talking about his knees are starting to bother him, and he's not quite a high flyer that he was with the Nets. It's it's remarkable to consider that, but it's true. Again, none of this is meant by either of us to exactly. criticize Bill Russell or his role in everything, in and out of basketball, as you said. But that can't be forgotten. And, and to me, saying we're retiring number six for Bill Russell kind of says, like, Doc didn't wear it. And yeah. I, I, that bothers me. All right. Well, Matt in Pottstown wants to address that. Hey, Matt. Hey, guys. How's it going? All right. Um, good. 
it, it's funny, and again, just like you say, you almost have to put that precursor out there that this is in no way or shape or form a disrespect to Bill Russell and what he meant to the league and to you know people in general, basketball, everything across the board. The guy was you know class top notch. But being in Philadelphia, one the first thing I tweeted when I or you know and, and posted when I read that that was happening with the NBA, I said here in Philadelphia it's going to have an asterisk. Yeah, me too. Because, I yeah. tweeted something similar. Yep. You know because. If you're of a certain age, you know, Doc is number six. Like, Bill Russell is what he was with the NBA, like I said. But number six here in Philadelphia, it's Doc. So the first thing that, you know, I'll ask, and I'm asking this knowing already, but I'm asking in general, has Philadelphia already retired the number six for usage in, with the Sixers? I believe they have. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. It's, it's one exactly. of the retired okay. numbers. Yes. So to me, again, Whenever this is brought up and mentioned, if they're, if the league is going to do something ceremoniously where everybody's going to put a six in the rafters and things like that, we do that with the announcement of everything of you're almost – it's not putting one in front of the other or saying one's on the curtails of the other, but you have to, like you just said, you have to recognize that we have already done this in this city with that number because of the person that had it here yep. previously, and now the number six is also – you know, whatever you have written or whatever you're going to do for Bill Russell. Here in Philadelphia, and I'm sure there's probably a couple other cities where the number six might have been used, you know, in the NBA. I, I can't really think of anybody. I was trying to think of that. There is no really no other – the only two sixes I can really think of in the NBA, and I'm not counting LeBron right now. I'm looking at – Yeah, Doc. LeBron changes his number all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I don't even give that – I mean, you, you retire half the, you know, right. <laughs> you can't even do it. So you look at Doc and you look at Bill Russell. So, again, here, Philly, with no disrespect, I think it's – Exactly. It's for both no, you you, you it said it well. Effort. Absolutely. I mean, that's, 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 that's it. Yeah, and, and We're again – We're standing up for Doc. We are. That, that's all this comes down to. There have been, there, there have been so many – great great players to wear so many different numbers that as i said if you start down this road where you retire a number for every team even if the guy didn't play for that team um you wonder where you stop all right uh so i asked our producer moshe kravitz to check and see if number six is retired for any other nba teams is it yeah uh phoenix suns have it retired for walter davis who played for them from 77 to 88 and spurs have it retired for avery johnson who okay. uh, wore number fifteen with his first stint with the Spurs, but went back there in later years and uh, and had a good All career. Right. And also, this is you know not worth bringing up in terms of Bill Russell, and and neither of those guys are uh, are on the same right. They're level. not on the same planet. Uh, but as, yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, the Orlando Magic and Sacramento Kings have it retired in honor of the sixth man. Oh, geez. So, yeah. You know, we'll see. Like that's, that, that's, a, that's a whole different thing. But Julius and... Serving is the only n- other yeah, number. Yeah, those six guys aren't in, in. They're not in Julius's universe. No, they're, they're not in the Hall of Fame. No, right. but they are for those franchises. I mean, it's it's better to that the Phoenix Suns retire Walter Davis's number because he was a great player for them than the joke Sacramento Kings retiring a number because of their fans. Yeah, oh, I, I mean, agree that's ridiculous. That. I agree. But those players, you know, you, you talk about Davis and Johnson, those are important players yeah. to those franchises. In those markets, they mean something. Yeah. But Julius is a league figure. Julius right. is a universal figure. Yes. He's Dr. Chapstick. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that is true. He's, he was, he, he, he's Doc. Yeah. He's different than all those guys. Yeah. Uh, Jack in Santa Barbara, what's going on, Jack? Now, I was going to talk Eagles, but you guys threw the the, the carrot up there about Dr. J. Uh, you so grew I up have... watching Dr. J. Well, and, and Glenn, I lived in North Jersey in 73, oh. and the guys I hung out with, I played ball with, and one guy was from Long Island, and he's like, 
Oh, Jack, you you got you got to see Doctor J, Jack. <laughs> and, and so That's a great when accent. He, when he was in his heyday in in Long Island, right? Yeah, you he said would, it right. He would, I was experiencing him, him vicariously before he wound up with the Sixers. So, so what Mike was saying about his his real high flying days. I got that vicariously from my buddy, Kevin. What, so, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Jack, if you talk to Pat Williams, you know, the longtime Sixers executive, the yeah, man yeah. who signed, you know, it struck the deal that allowed the Sixers to acquire Julius from the Nets, he went into, you know, the team's owner, and the owner had no idea who Julius Irving was. And that, you know, and it sounds crazy, <laughs> but it really wasn't yeah. that uncommon. Yeah. Where, Fitz Dixon, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I believe it was Fitz. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Um, and because nobody had seen him play, very, very few people had seen him play because the ABA didn't have a national television contract. Um, you know, and then you get the NBA after Julius gets there, showing NBA Finals games on tape delay. And in the late 1970s, it's you know the the Baltimore Bullets or the Washington Bullets against the Seattle SuperSonics, and the Portland Trailblazers are beating the Sixers in the finals, and it's just. In so many ways, the NBA is kind of an afterthought until Magic and Bird come along. Yeah. But it's Julius yeah. who's at the top of the the food chain, so to speak. He's the ambassador. And and Mike, do you remember who was the coach when 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 he went to the Sixers? Do you remember that? Was it Dean Shue? No, it was it was Kevin Lockery. Uh-uh. Well, right? he was he, Lockery was Julius's coach with the Nets. Oh, oh, excuse me. He he was. He was the coach with the Nets when Julius went from the from from uh, the the, uh, the, the Nets, Nets to, to the, the Sixers. Sixers. No, yeah, when he went from the Kentucky Colonels, is that who he played for? Virginia played? Squires. Virginia Squires. Virginia Jack. Squires. He went and and Kevin Lockery was on the phone when they got the call that he had just gotten Julius Irving, and he said, "I'll be right there." Wow, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, it is. He was um, an amazingly important figure back in the day. And when he came here, I mean, we, you know, listen, I've been doing this show for so damn long that we used to do all those old chestnuts of shows. Like, that's mm-hmm. the best free agent signing I ever had in this town, right? We've done all those chestnuts over the years. Mm-hmm. And remember, I started doing this in 1993 when Doc was still fresh in everybody's mind. And people always said, like, when they got Doc... The excitement, the palpable excitement mm-hmm. in the city was was hard to control. Yeah, um, I mean that's the golden era of Philadelphia sports, right? Yeah. From from seventy four until eighty three, that decade is just remarkable, and he's a huge, huge part of it. And maybe we're entering that right now with the Eagles and Phils, man. Just maybe. <laughs> By the all, way, all it takes is one preseason game. Yeah, you and I talked earlier about what Phils have come up through the system, and you know how they got Stott and Bohm and and Suarez and and Sir Anthony. We forgot Hoskins. Who? No, I'm just kidding. Of course. He's having yes. a good year. He is. He's having a terrific year. Yeah. And uh, if he can get hot in September, boy, he can he can carry you for a couple of weeks. And the hero of last night, Matt Veerling. The next Roy Hobbs. Well, I don't know about that. Clay in Kansas City. How are you doing today, Clay? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. Um, Clay, I, I got to tell you, the best barbecue I ever had in my life was at Arthur Bryant's. Glenn, I've called your show. Frequently. I know, and I, know I probably say it every time, but when I you see do. Kansas City, right. I know, but when I see Kansas City, I think of barbecue, and I have to bring it up. 
Oh, that's great. I mean, listen, we live on barbecue here. We're, that's why we're like the second fattest city in the country. Uh, but, I, I, could, I uh, could fit right in. So, out of market, but I got to watch the ball game this morning. Been a big Eagles fan for 40 years, man. Um, I was uh, pleasantly surprised with um, Hertz's play, to be honest with you. Um, but you know what? Minshew looked good, too, I thought. Um, a couple other observations, and then I'll let you guys go, because I know you probably got a stacked board. Did you see how many times Dave got double teamed? Yes. Like every play. Yes. It's crazy. And one other thing, um, I am not happy with the running back situation still. We just don't look like we have a pounder. And that's concerning for me because who's going to get the tough yards, Glenn? That's what I'm really worried about. Um, so, yeah. I, I listen, like you, I like that, that big back who can bust through the line and they don't have that. They haven't, I don't know, the last guy they had who was that. Would you consider LeGarrette Blount? That yeah, guy? yeah, that was the guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, he only won a Super Bowl. Is that all? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would put him on that. Uh, I do. I've always liked that kind of guy. Remember Brandon Jacobs with the Giants? Sure. When he was coming out of college, and I don't, I don't scout college football a lot, and certainly Northern Illinois. Mm-hmm. But I saw him play a game in college, and you know he was this two hundred and seventy pound guy just beating people up, and I, I said to Ray. Oh, God, we had Mike Mayock on. Uh-huh. I'm telling Ray and Mike Mayock, look, the Eagles got to draft this guy, Brandon Jacobs. He's not going to go in the first round. He's going to be really good. And they they didn't discount my opinion. Mm-hmm. But, God, he went, I loved him. He went, I mean, only he, played for the hey, Giants. I, but. I love Mike Mayock, but Brandon Jacobs was not a waste-bending road grader, so <laughs> they the Eagles wanted no parts of him. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll get more calls, bring in more nonsense. 215-592-9494. By the way, the big development last night, they could have the Phillies in the pennant race. that happened about 3,000 miles away. We'll talk about that, too. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Macknow on 94 WIP. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Macknow, 215-592-9494. God, I'm going. Th- where did I go with that one? <laughs> I was going, we were still AM on that one. Wow, I almost went 0, 6, 10. I've been giving out numbers for so long, sometimes they just jumble in my head. So it is 215-592-9494. We've only been 94 for about 15 years. I was ready to start playing classic rock songs all yeah. over again. Yeah, that's what we, that's what we, that's what this was before us. So uh, we learned, during you and I were at the Eagles game yesterday, and all of a sudden Twitter goes ablaze with news out of San Diego that could affect the Phillies in the pennant race. Fernando Tatis, the young superstar of the San Diego Padres, gets suspended for uh, illegal, um, what's the word I'm looking performance for? Performance enhancing. enhancing yes. Performance enhancing drugs. And gets 80 games, which is, if I think it was what, the last 48 this year, the first 32. This year, no playoffs. No playoffs. Give me the impact of this, Mike. Huge. Um, absolutely huge. I mean, this is a guy who was third in the most valuable player voting last year behind Bryce Harper and Juan Soto, uh, a bona fide superstar in this league. Uh, and this hurts the San Diego Padres a lot. Um, it just absolutely does, and there's no excuse for it. I mean, if you followed kind of the coverage of this last night and the statement that Tatis and his representatives released. Um, just, you know. He I just, inadvertently I just want, took a drug that he thought was a different drug. It for, was going to cure ringworm, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Actually, first, my, my son had that one time from wrestling. Wrestlers get that. Yeah. One. He was a high school wrestler, and you get it off the sweat in the mats. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, anyway, it just was, I, for once, I would just like one of these players to just own it, please. Yeah. You know, enough with the excuses. But anyway, look, the Padres went went. Bigger, you know, go to the beach kind of a thing 
trading for Juan Soto. Um, And so the loss of Tatis is really going to hurt them. And it does nothing but help the Phillies, Uh, you know, for the remainder of the regular season and presuming these teams get into the playoffs, um, you know, would help them there too. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Uh, And it was interesting. uh, What's it? AJ Preller, is that their GM? Yes. Came out and, you know, his statement was, this is not the first time he's done something stupid. Do you have the quote? I do. He says, um, He's somebody that from the organization's standpoint, we've invested time and money into. When he's on the field, he's a difference maker. You have to learn from the situations. I'm sure he's very disappointed, but the end, but at the end of the day, it's one thing to say it. You've got to start showing by your actions. That's about as close as a general manager will come to calling out a player publicly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, one, the, the money quote, I think what we need to get to is a point in time where we trust him. Over the course of the last six or seven months, that's been something that we haven't been really able to have there. That's that's quite that's an indictment. It's really an indictment. So, look, there is, as our friend Andrew Brandt <laughs> would say on Twitter when he's kind of um, – Andrew, one of the things he does on Twitter is uh, because he has experience as an NFL executive and is now an agent, he's able to kind of decode and translate – statements from pro sports teams um and what he would say about this i'm sure is they're angry <laughs> and that's that's about yeah. the bluntest way to put it they should be and as you said they they made a lot of trades thinking this is their year and then they lose him well there you go yeah. uh edward in uh philly you're on with mike and glenn hello edward hey you doing fellas good Hi, edward uh i just got a couple comments one yes that hurts uh hurts them it's good for us but uh I was appalled by Sports Center and all the highlights about Swarzer last night when uh, Suarez outpitched him. You know, here's the uh, thing about something like that, Edward, is that, you know, the Mets are in the New York market. Uh, Sports Center is a national show. They're going to show highlights of Max Scherzer and the Mets, and they're going to kind of play that up. They're trying as much as they can to build some semblance of kind of drama in these highlights. They want to show you what, you know, the best pitcher in baseball did. Um, but the idea that, like, Ranger Suarez went pitch for pitch with him uh, is not going to be something that they where, where they say, okay, we got to show Ranger Suarez. All right, that said yeah, – no, hold on, Edward, thing. hold on. Okay. That said, ESPN is an ass. <laughs> it is. I, uh, listen, I have loathed ESPN, and I've pontificated on this over the years <laughs> – for a long time because they find an issue and run with it as as you're suggesting off of Edwards anger they will present a story because or in a way that may not be the most factual but serves what they're trying to push are they still talking about Tim Tebow? I think they probably are. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I, I, Edward, I can't stand ESPN. And um, other than Amen. my friend Kevin Nagandi. Oh, Kev's a great guy. Kevin is a great guy and certainly worth watching. And whenever Kevin is on, I'll find it. Other than that, Edward, they're an uh, ass. <laughs> the other thing is uh, NBA could have done what uh, baseball did with Hank Aaron. So yearly, pick a day, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, – birthday and then have everyone wear number six instead of disrespecting Irving. Uh, but it's kind of kind of karma for him not backing uh, Joel for MVP. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I like that Edward's I, got an agenda. <laughs> we Nicely all have, done, we, my friend. We all have our petty have torments. All right. Take it, take it. Take it easy. All right. So 
a friend of ours who who we wanted to come on the air. He can't come on the air, but he's somebody who's been very involved in professional basketball for a while and is somebody that you and I both respect. Right? We can leave it at that? Yes. Okay. Um, texted you off of our conversation about Russell versus retiring Russell's number and not acknowledging or recognizing Doc. Yes. So this is what our friend wrote. Russell was the first black head coach in any pro sport, 11 championships, and was involved in civil rights. Doc was everything you are saying, but Doc didn't throw himself into social issues and stand up for social issues. Um, so it's, you know, just another take on it. Okay. Yeah. But it's social issues aren't, I mean, I, I know that that's part of it. And again, I, I applaud and recognize everything that Bill Russell did, but that doesn't mean that because Doc didn't tackle social issues that Doc was not an important figure. Doc was a hugely important figure in what the NBA is about, the central thing that the NBA is about, which is a product. Yeah, and and I think Edward made a great point uh, just a minute ago, the idea of taking a day every year where you honor Bill Russell. No issue with that. Um, but as I said, you, you don't want to kind of nullify, even symbolically, the history of Julius Irving as a member of the Sixers and, and as an athlete who's still admired and revered in, in Philadelphia. All right. Speaking of ESPN and Kevin Nagandi, because I feel bad now. Because <laughs> here's why. Go ahead. Go, no, I was just going to say, I have a number of friends at ESPN, too. Um, so, well, yeah. he's the only one, I think. Okay. Well, right. the only one you have. I have a couple. No, I know. I know. Well, I ripped him. You didn't rip him. No, this so is they, true. I can't be mad at you. Okay. So last night, I, I tweeted out... Um, Okay, I tweeted out, great win by the Phillies, which I didn't see because I'm here at the Eagles game. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the box score. Tell me what I missed. Give me the highlights. And many, many people did, mm-hmm. including Kevin Nagandi. Did he really? Yes. <laughs> see, he's looking out for you, man. I, he he's looking out for you. You're going to have to take back the – first of all, can I just say, when yeah. you said, I loathe ESPN, yeah. for all you Seinfeld fans out there, I, was, I immediately thought of Newman talking to the record store owner. I loathe you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, with could, Kramer standing behind yeah, him, kind of egging him on. Scene. I get it. I get it. Glenn, so, what was the uh, ratio of replies that you got that actually gave you info on what happened in the Phillies game and said, I didn't watch it either. It was on Apple TV. <laughs> Not as many as last time. Okay. I think people are figuring it out. I I think. I don't know. I, um. You you watched on Apple? Well, I mean, I was here, but I had oh, the, I had the Eagles game and the Phillies game oh, going. Well, there so, you go. So yeah. Here's what both, I've noticed but, uh, about Apple. At, this is what their third game, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and the pictures know future. The picture's seasons. very good. Yeah. Um. I, yeah. I, I for whatever reason the picture is better. The first game I saw, I disliked the announcers. The second game I saw, Hunter Pence was one of them. I thought mm-hmm. the announcers were fine. I didn't see last night. The one thing they have that just drives me crazy is the box in the corner where it's like probability of a hit, probability of an <laughs> yeah. RBI. It's like anticipatory stats are dumb. And and I don't like... Well, it's for betting the, purposes. The picture is great, You're but right. they're doing the same thing that you see more and more um, national telecasts doing where they get that up-close shot where the athlete or even the fans look like a video game. Uh, kind of hmm. so sharp that it looks like 
they've been recreated rather than they're showing you're the actual complaining people. about too much clarity it doesn't look real it is but it is i know but, but it doesn't putting look a special real. filter on it or something, something like that yeah i, I think instagram if you, if mike likes to watch his tv shows in, in 360 right. he likes it blurry on a 21 listen, inch the, tv the and grainier right. the better i can get I don't, you some rabbit ears i think i have them up I in don't my attic mind still cr- climbing on my roof and adjusting the antenna <laughs> oh god i remember and, that thing uh, you know i will watch walter cronkite deliver my evening news at six o'clock i like my beer cold and my baseball games in black and white did you have the uh when you were a kid did you have the antenna on your house that inside on the tv there was this box and it had a dial on it right and you, you click the dial, and it gets each station with more clarity. And then you, you have the little label maker that's at like channel 29. And it's like... No, <coughs> started you, out you with that. You did not have that? No, started out with that. And then when we got cable, yeah, we had a, a lengthwise brown box on top of the TV. And it had a little lever on the side. And there, were, there was a grid of the cable st- of the stations. You had a sticker on top of this box. And you would have to press the button and move the little lever to the different oh, levels. Oh, didn't have that. It's so very, that you very could, high tech in yeah. the Sealski house. Well, we were billionaires. There you go. <laughs> All right. So I got to finish ripping ESPN or, or I got to, now that I ripped ESPN mm-hmm. and I put that out last night, tell me what I missed. I didn't get to see the game and I, I got, and I appreciate it. I'm, I several hundred responses. Thank you. One's from Kevin Nagandi. Oh. And he said, here's what you missed. Pitching, defense, Depth showing its real value. Stott, Ranger, Veerling, Dominguez, Robertson. And then he ran out of characters, so he had another tweet. And boom, offense and defense. So, thank you, Kevin Nagandi. You're a great guy. The, the first few things he mentioned, the Phillies themselves had been missing for the previous 10 years. Yes. So, again, that gets to why people are excited about this team now. They're seeing a different kind of baseball than they had been seeing every year since 2011. All right. So how much of that is because of the tomper? I think a good bit I, of it it's is. It's like you get rid of Girardi and all of a sudden everything's great. Now, I had issues with Girardi in how he used his bullpen. I can't use this guy because I might need him tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I got to give this guy a day off. And all that stuff was driving me crazy. And there were specific strategic ga- moves he made during games that I disagreed with. But that, I mean, I had that with Charlie Manuel. Like, why is he doing that? That's That happens with a manager. But they get a new manager and all of a sudden they win, you know, 40 out of 60 games. There's a phrase that generations younger than me use they refer to someone or something and they say is a mood rob thompson is a mood i think honest to goodness that that the fact that is a mood yeah the fact that thompson i'm learning stuff now is uh a little more hands-off a little more relaxed i think that filters down to the entire clubhouse I've, i've said this before to you i think atmosphere matters particularly in baseball. We've all had bosses where you liked the work environment that those bosses created and you performed better as a result. Shout out to Rod Lakin, WIP program director. I wasn't referring directly to Rod. That's because you don't know him yet. He's a good guy. All right. So Rob Thompson is a mood. I'm going to show you a picture now that I posted the other day on Twitter. That hey, it's a picture of Rob Thompson. (laughs) And for would you describe what you're looking at? Um. I don't know. Uh, disaffected. <laughs> I'm not quite it's, sure the word. There's no expression there's on no, his yeah. face whatsoever. It, it looks like a mugshot. It does. <laughs> it does look like a mugshot. But 
but, after after Stotts double yeah in the to lead off the game yesterday, they caught him in the dugout giggling like is a little right? school See, kid. I, again, I'm at the Eagles game. I'm not. Yeah, so he, I, if, if that's the phrase, he is a mood. Look, I've been around Joe Girardi in Philadelphia and in New York. Mm-hmm. You can feel the tension radiating from the man. You just can. It doesn't make him a bad person. It doesn't even make him necessarily a bad manager. You can just feel it, though. And I think there's a difference now that he's not there. Wasn't working here. Okay. Ted in Westchester, what do you have to say about those fills? Hello? Yeah, Ted, what, hi, do, you, Ted. what do you got on the fills? Oh, hi. Uh, thanks for taking my car. Hey, good choice for Mike there, Glenn. He's a good replacement. Thank you. I appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Ted. Yeah, it's great. I, I've read your your books and your your articles all the time, Mike. Really appreciate it. Listen, I, I do too. Thank you. These Phillies are just blowing my mind, and they, they smell like they got something special. What do you guys think? Look, I, I think they are they are clearly, as we've said, a different kind of team. Not just in terms of quality, but in style of play and approach than they've been lately. Um, I think there was always this sense, even. You know, in seasons when they were well above 500 and in the pennant race, you're talking 2018 and 2019, and even the the really short season of 2020, there was always a sense of like, yeah, but this is going to, you know, they're they're holding on to a bird and the bird is going to fly away at any moment. And you don't have that sense now. There seems, you know, to be a better mentality. And there is certainly more talent and depth on this team, more experience. That's what happens when you sign a Kyle Schwarber. Um, and some of the guys who have been here, you know, for a couple of years, gain a little more experience. A guy like an Alec Bohm. So, um, look, they've gone eleven years, ten years without making the playoffs. A playoff berth, relative to what's happened over the last decade, would absolutely be special. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm just so impressed with Bohm and Stott and Gerling. I mean, they're just playing out of their butts, and it's just so great to watch. Yeah, youth. Youth is nice. As we said, it's been a while since they had players. So Nola comes up through the system, but that's a a long time ago. It is. It is. And that was always part of, you know, it wasn't just the Phillies from, let's say, 2005 through 2011, even though they didn't make the playoffs in those first couple of years that I just referenced. It wasn't just that those teams were great. It was that the best players on those teams connected with the fan base because they had come up through the system. And that's what gets people really excited about baseball is it's not just going out and signing a Bryce Harper, or a Nick Castellanos, or a Kyle Schorber. It is the idea of having a Chase Utley, a Ryan Howard, a Jimmy Rollins, a Cole Hamels come up through your system, and now you're seeing that with guys like Hoskins and Nola and some of the other names we've yep. mentioned. Very exciting. A lot of fun. 215-592-9494. He's Mike Sielski. I'm Glenn Mack. Now we've got time for your calls before we get out of here. On uh, 94 WIP. This segment brought to you by Meridian Bank. Business banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. All right, Mike Sielski, uh, a lot of fun today. Uh, spent a lot of good time talking about the – I keep saying an Eagles win. They didn't win. They lost. But it, what, what I, I – 24-21. Would, I would view it as a successful preseason game. Agreed? Totally agree. Your, yes, your biggest. I know the the hurts. That's fine. Run thing is is a big. Ed, listen, it was a worthy column. I, but what what are your other biggest takeaways from it in thirty seconds? Uh, they generally emerged unscathed injury wise, which is more than you can say for the New York Jets, their opponents. Uh, and they look sharp. The first team looks sharp offensively and defensively. Yeah, and I saw some guys in the second team defense. that yeah. I like. Yeah, absolutely. 
I'm in love with Jordan Davis, man. He's, I'm telling you, it's my it's like my favorite Eagle, and he hasn't played the regular season game yet. But I'm really going to enjoy him. And we spend a good amount of time talking about the Phillies victorious up in New York yesterday, winning a game that Max Scherzer starts and um, really putting themselves the. In very good position for the postseason. Yeah, look, um, they just lost the day before to the Marlins, too, and you kind of come away from that thinking, okay, they had to lose eventually. But, man, they bounced right back in what might have been their most dramatic win of the season. Uh, you got to like the direction that this team is headed in right now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so what do you got for the rest of the day? Anything fun? What are you, what are you doing? Who, me? I'm, yeah, yeah, I, I'm heading up to the Poconos. Oh, heading yeah, home, that's right. heading that's up to right. the Poconos. Yeah, 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 tell me that. That's uh, good. Spend some time with friends. Nice. You know what I'm doing today? Nothing. <laughs> That's that ain't a bad Saturday no, either. No, it's not a bad thing. Uh, I was well. We went to uh, Ithaca this week to visit. My, great my town, best great city. Yeah, had a great time. Uh, Ithaca Beer Company, definitely worth it. Mango uh, wheat, baby. Yeah. Had, had Excuse me, apricot, apricot, apricot. Yeah, apricot wheat. Yeah, it was really good. Had some of that, and um, just you know, been running ragged. And so today I'm going home. I'm doing. Oh, I'm going to catch up on some. You know stuff, but nothing that's going to take me out of my uh, out of my house, out of my office. And I'm thinking that I want to start the new League of Their Own series, ah, uh, which just dropped on Amazon Prime. When I give that a look, uh, I'd be interested in that. I mean, the original League of Their Own is an all time great sports great movie. movie. Yep, number uh, uh, twenty one, I believe. If anybody ever wrote a book on the hundred greatest sports movies, I, I don't know. I, do I know anyone who did that? Uh, Ultimate book of sports movies. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. Oh. But, by the way, Ray's play opens in Hershey this week. I think it's oh. Thursday through Sunday. And um, big sales, but you can get up there and watch the play up there. there Back you go. to where it all began. That's that, that's exactly right. There you go, Ray. There's your plug for the day. Okay. So anyway, I want to see this new show, see if it's any good. The hard is what makes it great. That's, that's of, There you that's go. One of the, it's that, one of the great lines. You go back and watch... The original League of Their Own. There yeah. are so many great lines yeah. in it. It is such a well-written movie. Right. That and when he signs the autograph for the kid, don't get the clap. Clap, Jimmy Dugan. <laughs> yes. There's no crying. Yeah. No, well, that's the one that everybody that's, remembers. Yeah, we'll I see know. how the TV show holds up. And the Phil's tonight. It's a 7 o'clock game, right, tonight? Moshe? That sounds right. There we go. Who's pitching tonight? What do we got? Oh, um... Nola. Nola. Aaron Nola goes tonight. Who the Mets? The Mets got, like, their big three. Which one do we get tonight? John Matlack. No. <laughs> um, Jerry I forget yeah. if it's DeGrom or Bassett. Yeah. I, I think it's DeGrom tonight. I think, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, hey, take two out of three from the Mets, right? You'd be happy with that? Oh, I think I think Phillies fans would be ecstatic. All right. A couple questions, Mosh. What what show is on after us? Go Birds Radio. Is that correct? Indeed. Who's doing that today? Uh, James Seltzer and Elliot Shore Parks, I believe. Yeah, Elliot's been putting in a lot of hours. I'll give him that. He did, did. two shifts yesterday. He's on this morning. A lot of Elliot. He is the hardest working man in show business. Uh, that's John Clark, but but Elliot's <laughs> up there. All right, it is time for us to find out what did we forget to talk about today, Moshe Kravitz. Well, uh, Carson Wentz is back in the news, in case you guys didn't know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm going to play this piece of audio from an interview he did with a reporter down in D.C., and I'll just uh, preface it by saying uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. There's been kind of a narrative out there here in training camp that you've been a little inaccurate um, on your throws, uh, consistently inconsistent has been a kind of a terminology. How would you assess your performance in training camp, and is that characterization uh, fair? Yeah, I mean, for one, it's camp. You know, I think 
uh, I didn't know that, so thank you. Yep. But, uh, I know because I know you told time, me you don't read that stuff. At the same time, uh, I'm my biggest critic, so I, I come back after practice yeah. and I'm kicking myself over one, two, three, four, five plays. You know, real talk here, Carson. It's been well documented. Philly didn't want you. Indy didn't want you. Do you think this is your last chance to prove that you can be a starting quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, you know, I don't really think about all that stuff. For me, I'm playing the game that I love, and I have the most confidence of anybody in myself to deliver. To all right, play it. all right. So, so here's my here's my opinion on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on the reporter for, and by the way, his name is oh darn, I just hit my computer. Scott Abraham from uh, ABC in in Washington. Um, the first question I don't really have a big problem with. Um, mm-hmm. You've had a bad camp. What do you say? And Carson answered the way he's going to answer, which is right. kind of a non-answer. The second question I thought was way out of line and inaccurate. Okay? Philly didn't want you. Well, that's not true. No. He bailed out of here. Right. He didn't want Philly. Right. Indy didn't want you. Well, Earsay, the owner, didn't want him, and that goes back to him not being vaccinated and all of that. I just, listen, I've been a reporter asking those questions, and you've asked a lot of tough questions. You may disagree with me. I thought it was out of line. I don't know that it was out of line. I think the reporter took the wrong approach. Two things I would say. Number one, if you are going to raise criticism of an athlete to the athlete in an interview, don't set up a straw man. Like, read the tweets or the articles or the comments that are critical of the athlete, you know, Otherwise, it sounds like you, the reporter, are saying this about the athlete, and the athlete immediately gets on the defensive. That's the first thing. Second thing is, you are not there to cross-examine the athlete, necessarily. You are there to get an insightful answer. And going to Carson Wentz and saying, Philadelphia thought you stunk, and Indianapolis thought you stunk, what do you think of that, is not necessarily going to get an no. insightful answer from no. the athlete. Agreed. You know, especially if you're Carson Wentz. And, and the one line I wrote down from that interview was, I'm my biggest critic. That is his patented, timeless, right. you know, shield to any criticism of himself. You've yeah. got to try to get past As that. you say, he just kind of shut down and gave the, yeah. the, the you know, save-get answer of the day. All exactly. right, what's next, Mosh? All right, well, we had our second Field of Dreams game in Major League Baseball this week, uh, which is... I, I was skeptical at first, but it's a really cool concept to do the throwback uniforms and all that, so... uh yeah, I'm, I don't know if you guys caught right. it. Just I, I didn't catch your the game. I caught a lot of highlights. I thought the uh, out of the cornfield, Griffey Sr. and Jr. was pretty cool. Yeah. That was a nice thing. I did not like the Harry Carey hologram. Um, I found it a little creepy, and I I know it's meant to honor him. I find it a little disrespectful to the dead. I, I find it disrespectful, and I also think if you're going to do Harry... Harry Carey is kind of problematic to try to do this because I think a lot of people remember him through the Saturday Night Live impression that Will Ferrell used to do with him. I would have taken Will Ferrell. Yeah. Like, (laughs) hey, what's your favorite planet? Mine's the sun. You know, (laughs) Um, people remember that. They don't remember the actual man and broadcaster. Yeah, I I just, I, I found it oddly creepy. All right, what else? Yeah, uh, so what? one last thing. We don't usually talk about tennis, but this week Serena Williams yep. announces that uh, she did, She said retiring at one point. I think she also said she's evolving away from the game. Yeah, well, she's going to have a baby, uh, too. She wants to have a baby. Yeah, she wants to you know, grow her family more, yeah. but uh, 
Great, the greatest of all time greatest in of all tennis time. retiring? Gre- gr- yes. Greatest of all time, I would say one of the 10 greatest athletes of the last 50 years. I'm not sitting here making a list, but dominated a sport like almost nobody can dominate a sport. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if not the greatest female athlete in U.S. history, certainly in the conversation. Um, and wish her all the best. She's been, I think, a terrific representative of that sport. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I like her, root for amazingly dominant, something to watch. Uh, I will miss her and... Hey, wish her the best. We get one final U.S. Open from her, and then she's retiring. Yeah, okay, I'm in. Uh, This hour has been sponsored by Meridian Bank, business banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. Mike, always a pleasure. You too, my friend. I will uh, see you next week. I am on tomorrow morning with Jody McDonald at 10 o'clock. Moshe Kravitz, great job. Stay tuned. Go Birds Radio next, right here on 94 WIP. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.